Welcome back from the desk below. Now I've been gone for a bit because um, I wanted to um, do a little bit of revamp. Um, when I first got into this game three years ago, um, man, during my second year, man, I ain't gonna lie, that 2019 one was something special. I got a little bit arrogant too at the time now too. I'm like, man, I'm putting out so much interviews and I really had to humble myself and I had to realize I'm like, man, there's so many people selling interview uh, platforms out there. And then I had to really step back. I'm like, man, there's, there's OGs other than Combat Jack out there that actually do this media thing. So, man, the good brother you're seeing in front of me, man, it's kind of kind of destiny how this all planned out, man. I had to look back at my emails for this. Um, it started out with an email. Now, I'm usually hesitant about opening emails that have PDF files. So when the good brother emailed me about this book called The Filtered Reel, I was like, I was intrigued by it because I was like, nobody ever sends me a book, especially like about like the Renaissance wing right now. So I was like, something inside me just told me, you know what, just click it and read it. And when I did my research on this brother right here, I was like, this man has 25 years in the game and I'm over here about to put statuses on Twitter about half you media people and my sons. And I was like, man, that was like almost a fucking Eminem moment right there. Now, I know you don't like Eminem, but that was like an Eminem moment right there for me. And I really had to come back. And I'm like, man, you know what? Instead of going out there with my chest popped out saying like, you know, I'm the best. Not, why not humble yourself, deflate it and give the flowers to your peers, people like the conduct, Sunyas, man, Mike Powers, man. And I always say this right now. I, I got into this game to respect the culture to protect the culture because there's media outlets out there that just, they try to tear down our culture. And I said this recently, I'd rather be respected by five percenters than a bunch of pilgrims. Cause I can't stand people who come into this culture mm. and take from it and don't give nothing back. Don't even buy the CD for the artist. So this gentleman right here, he's considered one of the greatest writers of the 21st century. And I say that with all confidence because when I read this guy's book, I was like, I can only imagine like the ups and downs that he had to face as a writer coming up in the 90s. Cause this is this is poetry right here that I was reading right here. Like when the way he describes these artists right here, I'm like, man, I gotta talk this brother right here. So man, he he's written for Double XL, the source. Man, you name these big publications out here, he's did. But right now he's doing his own show called the Power Write-Up Show. And man, you know, he's been Killing of Plax Diamond, the Rome Streets interview. I love the Tech and Steel interview. Those are my favorite ones right there. Yeah. Man, if I'm further introduction, I got Sonia's, man, aka Scale Straight Low. Oh, man, peace, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, brother. Um, you know, I, I want to say this, though, before we continue, because I've been doing this a long time, but one of the things I love about the Desk of Low is that... Um, it's very hard for a journalist to, to come across with a lot of love for the music, you know? And there's a moment if you watch the Desk of Low interviews and it's almost like this moment before you ask a question where that you could see the love that you got for the actual music, you know what I mean? Um, I was thinking of what comes to mind is the, uh, the, uh, the last Pharaoh interview, you know, with Channel 13 and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, that, that, that right there, you know, I was like, yo, I, I got, I love what you're doing, you know what I mean? And um, I definitely do the knowledge, you know, to the pieces that you do, the interviews that you do, you know, just to fact check my own, you know, so we do something different, you know what I mean? So that way, if somebody watches an interview that I did, it's kind of more like a build on and yeah. not just a repeat of what you did already, you know what I'm saying? 
different. That's why you're like, it's like, it's like making sure it's like, okay, so he asked this. So I'm going to make sure I come up with something different around that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Oh man, I gotta ask you for 25 years in the game, man. You've been man, you've been writing since I've been I've been actually like listening to hip hop, man. So I have to ask, like, when did your love for writing actually come? Like, when were you like, you know what, I want to write about this culture? Um writing is an, writing is more of a, a a thing I was raised to do, you know. Okay. So um my old earth, my mother, right? Remembered in perfection, RIP. She used to make um she used to make us, you know, write book reports. She used to make us write um on all the things that we read, you know what I mean? So we had to have proper diction, we had to have uh, proper ways of writing. And um even even during these summer months, like when we'd be uh, off from school, we had to write profusely, you know. So it was a thing that I didn't know that I could do diff better than other people. Because I didn't care for it, though, because she had ingrained it so much that I didn't care for it. You know what I mean? I wasn't even a reader. But, um, wow. yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't. When I went to college and I started to take and I took a, a, a class on Puerto Rican history. Obviously, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, right? And I realized I didn't know any of the history there. And then I realized that all the other students, you know, black, brown, yellow, white, they would all, at the end of this class, presumably know as much information about Puerto Rico than I did. I was embarrassed, you know what I mean? So I started to become a profuse reader. And then now, not just reading books about my history, books about history in general, but also books about the music, you know, things about the music. So what's the book of hip hop? The book of hip hop is its lyrics, as you know, you know what I mean? So now it wasn't sufficient to just know some of the lyrics, but like, what what do they really mean? You know, what what does KRS-One really talk about? What is, what is what are all these MCs really talking about? What does Rakim mean? Uh, what does Brand Nubian mean? So as I go through college, uh, I'm maybe like 19, 18, 19, and I and this is my old Earth again. My mother, she's like, well, you know, you're fooling around in college. You need to, and we're not fooling around in college the way other people say it. You know, we have yeah, good, like not drinking and stuff like that. Right, we have good grades, but you know, it's not upper echelon. So she had high standards. So she wanted us to do some kind of extracurricular activity. And my brother, I'm a twin brother, right? And he was writing in the school paper. So he was like, why don't you write in the school paper? And I said, I don't know anything to write about, you know, but writing was easy to us though, you know? And it certainly wasn't anything I loved to do, right? <laughs> I so, in yeah. so I was just like, you know what? I'll write something. I love hip hop. I'll write something about hip hop. But when you, it's different than a blog when you have to write yeah. something that gets published. You know what I mean? You can't change it. You can't go back. This shit's on paper. <laughs> yeah. If people say it sucks, it's already out there. You can't go back and edit, you know? And I start to write this piece, right? And it just, it's kind of, I guess, I don't say magical because to me it was magical. In hindsight, after all these years, I realized it's because I had written so much as I was forced to write so much. And I was already in the fever of learning my history and um, my first mentor in college, Dr. David Travelso, who's my professor, I never met a Puerto Rican with a PhD, let alone multiple master's degrees. So I was already studious. Oh, wow. And I start my first, my first, the first article I ever write is called The Three R's That Feed and Starve Hip Hop. Record labels, radio, and R&B. And it was, it was catapulted by the, you know, the Pharaoh Monch line. 
you know, why do you choose to listen to R&B 24 times a day? You know, like the same song, remember that in Stress? That's right. And I quoted that and it became the whole piece. And my brother was the editor, so I had lots of rain and also a lot of arguing with him too to get put it all <laughs> Yeah, over. I bet, because it was a different format at the it time was, too. It, and it was long. It was like, I want, it was like 2,000 words, but I didn't know anything about laying out. That's way too much for a, a, a paper that has like eight pages of arts. You know what I mean? That's kind like of like with a rapper who do like 80 bucks. Like, whoa, whoa, you're supposed to do six. Yeah, yo, the, it was definitely like cannabis 100 bars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was cannabis 100 bars. And it was like, hey, we, there's only like 30 seconds left on this song. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went winter wars on that joint. And um, he put it all in there. And that kind of inspired me. But the thing was, is that I was writing articles and I was writing them angry. I still okay. write angry. I was writing them furiously. I was cursing in them. And by the next year, I said, you know what? Let me write a column. And I'm from Sunset Park, Brooklyn, right? Where it was mainly a Puerto Rican neighborhood growing up. By the 90s, it started to be more Dominican, more Mexican, more South American. But it was Puerto Rican growing up. And when you look at the history of Brooklyn, Sunset Park gets its respect by going to other boroughs. You, not by shit from sunset. you don't get respect going to sunset you get sunset gets respect going to other boroughs you know what i mean in accident you look at any crew there's somebody in sunset there you know what i mean or oh, in the wings somewhere but you know yeah. they don't. so it's a silent borough you know so i was like i gotta represent so i made a column called sunset style you know what i mean and i had the whole logo with the wild style graffiti sunset style you know what i mean and i started to write all these articles that were inflammatory they were rugged I was cursing and I didn't realize that all the magazines at the time, because I was going to Baruch College doing this in their school paper and in the CUNY system and all the magazines were around the area. So you have magazines on, you have uh, Baruch College didn't have a campus that was set at that time. So they had leased buildings where you would go. So you would be traveling from Union Square to 23rd Street to 28th Street that radius when you draw a circle around it is a lot of major labels and all of the major magazines oh, I see. so and mind you i just want to how green i was and how much i didn't really read especially hip-hop because i collected hip-hop but it was i started to collect hip-hop and finally have a cassette collection in 91. it was all making mixtapes you know and back then the mixtapes you make on the radio would be quality because there were so many great shows <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean I mean, you know, like it's different than saying it now. Like you have really excellent superior shows from Stretch and all the stuff late, you know, Kid Capri, right? Oh, give my left not to go back there and experience that. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, my youth, my youth of 15, ages 15 to 24 is the 90s. You know what I mean? That's my, that's the 90s for me, those ages. Golden era. So when, I, when I'm going to these different buildings, the first thing I actually noticed though is a magazine shop because I have time between college courses and I go to a magazine shop cause it's cold. And I just go in there and looking and I go, wow, look, they got Tribe Called Quest on the cover. Like this is how green it was, I didn't read. So I didn't realize that they put it, they had rap magazines. I didn't realize any of that shit. And I was like, oh shit, I could do shit like that. You know what I mean? And that's what got me to say, let me do a column in there. And I started to do Sunset Style. The thing was, is that after I kept writing I realized that I don't wanna be somebody that just covers rap. I want to make something unique. So I had tried graffiting writing. I, I was terrible. I can't, I, I have no skills. Uh, DJing, I just got tired trying to collect all this equipment. It was extremely expensive. You know what I mean? 
and and, and yeah. you know a side note every single studio i ever interviewed in the 90s when i went to a studio it was all illegally this you know illegally funded and illegally erected you know what i'm saying yeah there is no such thing as like oh look we worked at the at, at the at the malt shop and we were able to make enough money to buy these turntables you know what i mean no that's none of hip-hop goes like that you know what i mean and um so all of these things and mc you know i just didn't I didn't never, I never tried to MC. I always listened to hip hop and never tried to MC. So I, I didn't really care for it, you know? And the more I studied rappers, the more I was like, wow, I got a long way to go. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, um, and then you interview them and you're like, wow, I just finished interviewing Jordan. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm gonna play basketball. I just finished, you know, like it, it's kind of like that. So I started to write, but I was like by 94, into 95, especially in the into 95, I start the column and other people that are around the magazine start to come to see me. They say, who is this guy writing these pieces? I'm getting in trouble from other organizations in school because I'm cursing and everything in the articles. But then I start to make them creative. And, I, and I, in 1995, I write a piece that says we could be the, that the writer could be the fifth element of hip hop. So I was the first one to say fifth element of hip hop. You know what I mean? And I could, I could prove that with the piece, but I can't prove, even though I can say that the people that knew that eventually ended up in Blaze Magazine that called themselves the fifth element of hip hop. You know what I mean? Okay. The people I told that to are the people that started Blaze Magazine. You know what I mean? But I was the one that came up with that shit. And the reason, the reason I said that is because I'm the only one that had a premise of why. The why isn't that it's just on paper and it's something that I do with hip hop. It was, what if I become something more than writing about things? What if I make my pieces creative? So at that time, my model, and that's why I call him the father of the ele my element, is Bones Malone. Because I'd open up Vibe. And to me, Vibe was so commercial. I, I, I always was disappointed reading it. You know what I mean? I heard a lot about that in the 90s. A lot of people didn't like Vibe. <laughs> yeah. Remember it. Vibe was founded to be a more commercial R&B minded version. You know what I mean? So it was always going to disappoint. Like I was there when people were talking about its erection. So I was like, oh, that's going to disappoint. You know, I was like, yeah. I, I never kept my mouth shut. So I burned bridges by just, you know, responding to things. You know what I mean? And um, so what happened was I said, if I could write like Bones Malone, because I was like, yo, how does Bones Malone get to write whatever the fuck he wants to say? Yeah, and not get any like Republican. It, it don't have to be about music, it could be about whatever, it could be, as long as it's about Bones Malone, it's actually hip hop. So I was like, yo, that's the most hip hop shit ever. It's because he wrote it that it's actually hip hop. That's how hip hop Bones Malone was. I was like, yo, I gotta get to that level. Like I gotta, I started writing my column like that. And I started to do like, I used to do, I, I used to try all these styles like, writing essays that rhymed, but in such a structure that it looked like an essay. So you wouldn't know it rhymed unless you read it. You know what I mean? I would try to write pieces oh. backwards. You know what I mean? Like all these kind of things like that, you know? So I was making up all these things and just playing with things. And I tried to bring that into magazines as around because the people that came up to me started were in Vibe Magazine. And Vibe Magazine had a, had a when they started to do the web in 1996, they had vibe.com slash the suicide, D-A-S-E-W-A side. Oh, wow. No, very few people know about that. 
right? And it was supposed to be the more hardcore version. The problem was is that my experience was they made me an editor. And every time I went to Vibe Magazine, I was like, yo, I'm going to meet Bones Malone. He was never, you know, he's never around. <laughs> I didn't know that, you know, he's just giving the article and you leave. I thought they all had desks. And <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And I go in there and I'm like, okay, so how can we get in there? I said, no, nah, they don't have the room open. They don't have the room open. So I never got to do anything. I never got to do anything there. You know what I mean? Even though some of my pieces got put in there, but I never got to edit really. Like say what goes in. Yeah. You know, change things, rearrange things, lay out things. I, I did none of that. I just got the title. So those guys eventually started or moved into probably the first wave of double XL. Oh. And then I become a freelance writer, but then I didn't know you could be, have a career in this. And when I look back, I couldn't make a career at this because I, I couldn't like the music that they were willing to like review, put it there. Like I, not just review, but magazines at that time, they will love some of the best music out. And a lot of that in retrospect is because there wasn't a lot of bad music. You know what I'm saying? Right. If you took every trash, if you went back, right? You low, you go back and you go, I'm going to collect every shitty album from 1996, like real trash. You won't have that much to make up a magazine. Your magazine is still going to get stuck with some outcast at Atlians. It's going to get cut stuck with some Tupac. It's going to get stuck with some Fuji's, right? You still, Mob Deep, you know, you still have space to put good stuff in. So it's kind of like that back then. The quality was very good because the record labels didn't know how to make a bullshit product. And young kids that wanted to get on labels didn't know how to make a sellout version that would be appealing. All they knew how to do was imitate what was already blowing up. And at that time, the good stuff was still in the street. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like before the net and everything. Right, yeah. So what do you imitate? Well, I see, I see Nas everywhere. I see Wu everywhere. I'm going to, maybe I could get on like that. So Method still, man, I heard like right? the guy back then too. Yeah. You still imitate good stuff. You know what I mean? That was quick to change though, by the late nineties. So I'm burning bridges everywhere because I give my honest opinion about stuff. And I'm thinking like, they're from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. Like, you know, maybe, you know what I mean? They understand. They're going to see it. And they're not white people. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not like going like, these are white folk. They don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. These are brothers. So I'm like, you know, and I, I was always, I was always burning bridges, but I didn't know I was burning bridges though. I, I didn't know I was doing that. You know what I'm saying? So I end up staying as a freelance writer because I'm not giving up my job. And I'm not giving up my career in school. Like, like I'm going to get my degree. You know, I'm thinking that way. And because I wanted to honor what my, my mother was, was telling me. So I end up being a freelance writer for Double Excel. I end up uh, going to magazines that those brothers end up going into. But there's a lot of magazines I refuse to go to. Like, I actually, and that's one thing I say, like, when I teach, I teach a lot of students, right, over the years at law school in Mecca, right? And I've been teaching there for 20 years. Oh, wow. So I've taught hundreds of students, you know? And one of the differences between back then and today is that people don't see, they don't see the mountain climber with the electric guitar. In other words, you don't see that person that is telling you to sell out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, it doesn't mean that you, like Low, isn't being, isn't choosing realness over fakeness. It means that there is no individual in front of you saying, if you just put these things in there you'll be all right 
There's yeah. no one there. It's basically on your shoulder. You know what I'm saying? It's basically imaginary. It's basically illusionary. I was still at a time where I could see that person, you know, that person saying, hey, you don't need to do all that. You could do this and still succeed. So I'm saying no to people like that in their face. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, nah, I don't do that. You know what I mean? I don't do that. Just like Guru said, nah, I ain't doing that corny yeah, stuff. Yeah. And I think tell you that chart, a lot of courage. But here. they tell you that the chart positions will go up. You know what I mean? And this is why I love certain MCs like Guru. He's my hero. Karis one because some of their lines would actually come into my mind while these things were happening, you know? So the last <laughs> verse on conspiracy and daily operation, that verse is in my head when I'm experiencing these things. Is it? But they tell you that your chart positions would go up, you know? And they start rapping know, in front of the guy. It's like, yo, yeah, it's like, I don't know what's going on here. I can't, yeah, I ain't doing that corny stuff. And I, I'm literally quoting shit when I'm answering people. <laughs> so it's like, People are willing to like a lesser version. And you know, when you see like people get mad on Twitter, would you see like, oh no, that's the way it is today. These are narratives that don't come from Twitter people. They're narratives that are ingrained in magazines. If you go back to mm. late nineties magazines, you will hear things like, um, uh, you know, he had to adapt to the times though. Um, he made more diluted music, more grown man's music. You know what I'm saying? So it's terms that get diluted with people. Like for example, the, that term um, grown man, that comes, that comes from De La Soul when they did the Grind Date album. Oh, when yes, they did yes, the Grind Date album, that was the terminology that they were using to describe what type of music they were making because they were trying to relate to open up the mind and say, listen, the older listener, you can still listen to this music. You can still buy this because People my age, by the time it was in the 2000s, it wasn't really like, oh, you're too old to listen to this music. You know what I mean? And that's why, that's why, as a side note, that's why like people like Doom are such a big deal because he's somebody that's older that's, that still makes hip hop. And so like, wow, you know what? I can still listen to hip hop because Doom. And I'm telling you in my personal life, I was going, listen, to the women I was with, I was like, listen, this guy is my age though. You know what I mean? He's making music and everything. So I can still do this. This is still like a life thing that we can do. You know what I mean? There ain't no age so, limit on it. Right. So it becomes different. But back then it was it was seen as like, yo, it's, it, you're finished with hip hop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, um, it's like what you said too. Because I like how you put um, like the early 2000s is like the dark ages. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Star Wars, but if you were watching... Oh, okay. You're, you'd be surprised who never seen Star Wars. Yes, I am. Some, I, I always get surprised with somebody who hasn't seen Star Wars. Yeah, it's like you've never seen this. Like, you know how much rappers reference this? Like, so um, I like to refer like the 90s and the 80s, like the, like the, where the Jedis were around, like where like open, and then like the Dark Age, like the 2000s, like when Darth Vader and all that other shit came in. And right, so, right. So, so when you said the Dark Ages for the early 2000s, I was like, yo, I get it. I get it because there was more, it was more like, it was it was so saturated because like more dumb music so like i like to refer as cameron cameron's first two albums were lyrical and then this guy signs to rockefeller in 2000 he's like oh, bye oh, bye like he, here's the thing that? here's the thing why i was always labeled a hater when cameron's first two albums came out though i was telling people he was going to cross over and that was oh good. you say, oh so you see mean? so i'll tell you I'm gonna tell you why, when you talk about like burn bridges, it's your perspective about music to be ahead of it. 
1994, in about December, no, right? Biggie's, no, not even December, November, when Biggie's just being released, this Ready to Die album, I'm a Puerto Rican kid out on, in front of Beat Street, out in DeKalb Avenue. And I'm saying, Biggie's gonna ruin hip hop. Because these, and, and they said, what are you talking about? This shit is hard. I said, listen, it's the A side, B side. They're, they, nobody's ever done that. Where they give you an A pop side and a hardcore B side. Yeah. And nobody felt it like that except people like me because it's my perspective. Because I stayed in my perspective, I was able to see things differently. 1994, I don't experience Biggie through Juicy. I experience Biggie through uh, Things Done Changed, Machine Gun Funk, wow. because I listen only to the underground shows. Yeah, so play juicy. When, I go, when I go on TV and I see videos on Video Music Box and I see Juicy and I see Big Pop, I said, oh man, he's selling out. And people forget that in 1994, one crossover track was considered vastly commercial. Mm, you know what I mean? It just takes one. And using Isley Brothers between the sheets with no real work on it is crossover. Oh, yeah. You know I mean? It's absolute crossover, especially in a time where you like, like, got the smallest inch reel where you have to do all this work. And people like Large Pro are like going over that inch reel to sample, to chop, and all this. And you just are able to go over and just loop a very mainstream song, you know what I mean? And clear the credits with no problem, you know, clear them. With no, yeah, with like no, it's your own, yeah, exactly. No issue, no problem, you know what I mean? And when he came, there was two albums that people love that I, I I like. I don't say I love, I don't say I love Ready to Die because it's, I, I experienced so much negativity with that prophecy. Yeah. Like that's my experience with Ready to Die. An experience that nobody has because nobody was saying that. Nobody was, saying that the A-pop B, B hardcore side is going to lead to, it's like a rocket. You blow up with that A-pop B side. The B side is the actual rocket ship that explodes and gets you into space. But what happens when you get into space? That B side, the yeah, rocket just part just latches off and just floats and dissipates. And that's exactly what happened. Now you don't need the hardcore music. You know what I mean? And that formula is what I was writing about and nobody wanted to publish that. People refused to publish that. Now this is at the same time where now I'm writing about technical stuff and music, like a review, and I'm trying to write technical reviews of music, but creatively done, inject my prose and even inject poetry into it. And it is being neglected, denied and chopped every single time. Yeah, I can only imagine the things that they chopped. Because yeah, so I have no. I got into there was a thing on recently on Instagram where they put up um, Big Punisher Forever. That Instagram, they posted up um, the Double XL review for Capital Punishment, right? Oh, I actually got that. And I was the one. I was the one who wrote that, and and everybody on it was like, "Oh man, this guy ain't shit though. They need to tell somebody he ain't shit and this and that." And mind you, they, they don't know anything about the game. They don't know that our um, writers never pick the grades for the albums in yeah. any magazine. And I know because when people go, oh, you were just a double XL. No, I was at Source, Vibe, Double XL, Hip Hop DX, everything, Stress Magazine. I was at all of them. Oh, stress. Every single one that you could think of. Hook.com, 
one love magazine that was like the size of a phone and shit. You know what I mean? Like things like that. I was everywhere. And um, I was telling them that they take away your style. And if people ever read that again, if you go to Big Punisher Forever and read the review that I wrote there, you're going to see a shift in stylistic writing. It's on the screen for the people out because we all see it's on the screen. Yeah, you can read through it. He's be like, yo, it literally ships from writing style, but people don't read anymore, so they don't know that. You know what I mean? And um, when when you write for magazines, it's a conveyor belt. You know what I mean? Every single editor gets to look at it and they chop it up to make it look like what the source or the vibe or the double XL is supposed to write. You know, so everybody has the same style of writing. Another reason why I had so much love for Bones Malone. Because not only was it dope, it could you weren't allowed to cut his shit up. Yeah. I found that shit amazing. So I never got to, to do the element that I wanted to show on, you know, in the magazines that I was in. You know what I mean? It was only when I called the 2000s the Dark Ages, I can prove it because it got cited in one book. I never got to publish it. But I wrote a long piece that said that was called Why Hip Hop Died. In 1999, I wrote this. Wow. This is like before. Like, and it was published in Raquel Rivera, PhD's, um, Dr. Raquel Rivera, PhD, her book, New Eurekans from the Hip Hop Zone. You could see it cited at the end. You know what I mean? It's my only proof that it exists. Even I lost <laughs> the original paper, right? You know, with floppy disk and all that shit. You know what I mean? And it was 1999, and I had bought the most albums I've ever bought in my life. I bought, I, almost, I, I bought almost 100 albums. I had never bought that many hip-hop albums. There never was, was that many hip-hop albums to buy. And for some reason, the feeling wasn't there. Oh. I think some of that was personal because in 1999, I also got the knowledge of myself. So the way I saw the world changed completely. Yeah, and the you way saying? you actually take it music. Right, so too. everything that I wrote was not right and exact to me. So everything I was listening to I was hearing differently. So it has a combination, but nothing gave me that feeling. So what happened was I wrote that piece. When the 2000s came and I, I called it the dark ages, by 2002, I called it the dark ages. And it was because <laughs> nobody was really graduating. 1999, right? 1998 to 99. Most Def, Lauren Hill. There's another one. Um, Most Def, Lauren Hill. I'm thinking somebody else. But let's just use those two, most of Lauren Hill. They're the only ones that really graduate. You know what I'm saying? DMX doesn't count, though, because DMX was already given that graduation. It was like automatic graduation. He, If you read press releases that were given to magazines, and my that was a big deal back then because writers didn't really. These writers suck. They weren't writing. They were just taking the press release and putting it in there. Oh, so you know like copy and paste. Right. And, and again, I tell people it affects my experience because... The way they hyped up DMX was DMX literally was marketed as do you, very subliminally, do you miss Tupac? Do you miss do you miss the savage nigger that and I'm using ER, do you miss the savage nigger that will go all out and put all this emotion out there for you to see and be a martyr for you every single record? This is the kind of press releases that and the way that DMX was pumped out. It was done very subtly and it was very done very despicably. And it made me be very wary of DMX because nobody wanted to admit that DMX's music at the time was much more diluted than other music that was coming out in 1988. 
you compare oh, yeah. what what Outcast was doing, what Muggs was doing. Remember Muggs's first solo the album? Chapter, that chapter. What the solo Primo chapter. did on on uh, Moment of Truth. What Pete Rock did with Soul Survivor. Oh, you know what I mean? Survivor, yeah. Compare those records that I just mentioned with what Swiss Beats was doing with DMX. Yeah. That's a, a crossing over of, and a, by, a, by a dilution. And I don't think it's all because Swiss Beats is deliberately diluting. I think that he's just not as good, but a diluting of the music that they latched onto, you know what I mean? And so you get like the dark ages, you get even the great artists of dark ages are coming in a more diluted package. And that's a point that people don't want to understand about the locks, about DMX, about artists like that. You know what I mean? And at the same time, I'm covering music and I'm like, yo, where are the people writing about Jean Grey, uh, uh, Mr. Liff, you know what I mean? Wow, you know, all of these people that are doing great stuff, you know what I mean? And it just becomes an underground that now becomes a niche, you know what I'm saying? And that's why I called it the Dark Ages. And magazines by 1999 were this thick. They turned yeah. into Yeah, that's true. Because they were crossing over and selling out. And the language in magazines was, this is language. Common language inside magazines and writers and editors. Eminem is going to make us so much money. We, we will promote him as one of the greats. <clears throat> Absolutely. And to me in 1999 to say that he's the greatest of all time or even to put him in the conversation is completely disrespectful. You know what I mean? Yeah, I bet, yeah. In 2021, it's just silly talk. In the mid, in the early 2010s, you could say he's a great MC. In 2020, you could say he's a great MC, right? But to say he's in the GOAT conversation or he's in all time in 2020, and people don't notice that that they were saying this in 2000 because the term GOAT didn't exist. That's true. Remember, uh, LL said that in 2000. LL Cool J coined that. You know what I mean? So all of these things happen. You see types of writing, like when they say, I'll give you an example. When people say um, Biggie is, a, is an MC and Tupac is a performer. That's language from magazines. I was there with the people that made up that shit. And I was there burning bridges again saying, that's full of shit. You know what I'm saying? But you're saying it like it is, though. Yeah. And because Biggie was more gifted technically. But we have tons of records where we... And, and actual devices. Actual devices. The inflections, like the trying to kill me. And all these things that Tupac did that nobody else did. Yeah. You find devices that influence people, like Killer Priest. Listen to Killer Priest's... What is it? I'll even... I'm on a computer here. I'll look it up. Listen to Killer Priest, because right, we have to use the most oh, lyrical yes, guy. We, we, we definitely talk to Killer Priest. We use the most lyrical guy in the universe. You know what I mean? And um, listen to not just View from Masada, which I interviewed him for, but listen to Priesthood from 2001 and tell me that he's not learning from Tupac. These guys are so lyrical that you don't notice the influence. You know what I mean? But what that it has on, yeah. but these perceptions were allowing people to sell magazines. You know what I'm saying? They're allowing people to sell magazines. So for me, it became a great dark ages, and I couldn't, I couldn't write in there. No one would let me write. If I wrote in there, I had to write about somebody that was really, really underground, which I enjoyed. You know what I'm saying? But they would run out. In the 90s, my issue, my biggest problem was that I was literally Puerto Rican, so I wasn't being given the chance to write about anybody else, even though I was more informed about them. 
they weren't Latino, so I don't get to write about them. You know what I mean? So if you get Wu-Tang, I don't get to write about Wu-Tang, even though I'm the only one that's a 5%er and actually knows exactly what they're, what talking, they're talking about in the lyrics. Even though, even though Papa Wu is one of my elders that teaches me, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't, I have no concept of proving that I have insight that is worthy of giving a really good piece on that. You know, so much so that when Old Dirty returned to the essence, when he died, right? Remembered in perfection, A-Son unique, you know? A-Son unique. I was almost into Source Magazine. I was working as a writer and the God Day Son was the editor in chief. And so I was gonna get in soon enough. And the magazines were so ruthless or like really not caring about the quality of the scholarship that Papa Wu, even though he knew it was me that was interviewing and he let me interview him, but then he said I couldn't use it. So I interviewed him anyway, because I wanted to know this stuff for myself. But yeah, he said, yeah. he said, God, you can't, you, you could keep it, but you can't use it. And I, I couldn't take it through to the finish line in the magazine. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna honor what he said. You know what I'm saying? That's the God, you know what I mean? That's my big bro. And he didn't trust these magazines that he wouldn't even let us interview him even while we were in the magazine. That's how much they knew the structure, you know what I mean? Wow. And so it was it was very difficult to write in these magazines and stuff. And sometimes they just didn't let you write good stuff even when you gave it to them, you know? That's they, out. Yeah, they just, they didn't want to. And I have tons of stories like that, but it really was a dark ages for me. You know what I mean? I, I didn't get to develop in any magazine any of the skills I had. And it was really the internet that saved me, you know? So when I call it the dark ages, it was personally the dark ages, definitely the dark ages for media, dark ages for artists that couldn't really blow up and like commercial artists that, that they're really talented, but deserve to be on a more bigger platform. You know, those artists that they're just too charismatic that they deserve to be everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like who? Like Rim. You, right, like Rim. I mean, come on, Rim is, it, everything he does is entertaining. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like he yeah. just, you know, uh, there's no way that he shouldn't be around. People like Sky Zoo. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, everything he says is so charismatic that he's a person that you could listen to without hearing anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, which is his true. because he's so much fun to listen to. He would be he's perfect for the to, that album that he did with Ill Mind. That should have been on oh, live from the tape deck. That's right, how right. they that, him. that has like the perfect balance of radio and and street. Okay. Like it, it's perfect for 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 radio, but they don't do it. You know what I mean? And um, all I did was collect documentation about how that happened. So I knew it was the dark ages. I collected document. I interviewed radio program directors from New York radio stations like one hundred five point nine, and they would they would actually psychotically explain to me why we need to hear a Mariah Carey song 20 times per day. Like, you know what the answer was, the short answer? It was because if that fan turns on the radio and doesn't hear that song, they won't tune in again. And it was like, the way he said it to me was so psycho. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just like, Yo. <laughs> like, that's really not how music works because when you hear a song, they take the populace for, for idiots. Like people are willing to hear a new song breaking. Yeah. Especially if they respect the DJ, you know, yeah, if they respect the DJ, like 
people know, right? How many years was like a Angie Martinez or somebody on there? If she goes, look, this is a great song. Check it out. People are going to check it out. They're going to listen to it. You know what I mean? Well, then you but, got um, like somebody like who was like, um, right. like, like a key, like DJ in the 90s. And then as you see into the dark ages, they're kind of like going like a different way. Because like, I remember hearing stories about like, like with Biggie, like Funk Flex and Biggie and the locks with the ULC freestyle, like he premiered that. Then years later, he's premiering like Kanye and Jay-Z uh, say, hand on the register. Like just like that, like when he repeat, when he premiered that Otis track, like he was pulling some antic stuff. He's like, go into the, any kind of bodega, tell him that cash money is yours. It's like, dude, just play the record. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And then, you know, even now, like that's not much of a break. Yeah, yeah. Like, breaking a, a Jay Z record isn't really what breaking. Oh yeah, yeah. No, just, but I meant to say like, let's like, oh. say somebody new like uh, about like like breaking a Jay Z record back then. Oh yeah, yeah. And you see, that's the thing though. Payola was one of the things I investigated. You know what I mean? Oh. So when we hear Jay Z for Seven Hot Summers, you know what I mean? I have to give my Chris. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, those summers were paid for. You know what I'm saying? Those summers are absolutely paid for. And, and there really isn't a difference between AZ's uh, crossover tries and Jay-Z's crossover tries. Mm, it's just that AZ didn't have that giant bag. And then by the time the mid-2000s hit, payola isn't a, okay, here's the money and the funds. It's, it's all prepaid. It's prepaid payola. So you're already going to, you're linked in with a system. So you're going to get those things in. It's like a store that already gets its products from this distribution center. So you already know what you're going to get. So the payola is already in the, the paying of the distribution center, you know? So there's no way to break a record. I did interviews with Buck, with Buckshot, with Drew Ha, and they would tell me by 2000, you couldn't go into Hot 97 on any show, including Flex and bring in your record and say, look, this is dope. And he'll be like, yeah, that shit is fire. Though. I'm going to break that right now. What they're going to do is like, now, nah, you know, I got to play these. There's the ones that's on the, the system here. I can't, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they all have that. It doesn't matter if they cut up the one in the system or not. It's still in the system. So by the mid 2000s, it's already all done. It's already a payload business. I'll give you another example. By 2005, right? And I know because I was there. Magazines that I refuse to work for, King Magazine, okay? Oh, wow. Whatever those brothers did, they wrote some things, but that was when you first started. I'm, I'm going to tell you how, and, and, and I say this, we talk about our people, black and brown people, you know what I mean? The original man, black, brown, yellow. What is detrimental to our people? What is this? King Magazine is actually a spinoff of the eye candy section of double XL. Yeah. Double XL eye candy section eliminated another section that a guy who was a great writer who ended up doing great things in sports because he knows sports, Scoop Jackson. You're looking up, look him up. Scoop Jackson. He used to write these dope pieces in double XL features about class classic artists that hip hop samples. So you have a piece about Marvin Gaye and all that. And I don't care if you know about Marvin Gaye, it's always a pleasure to see Marvin Gaye in a magazine. He's the damn, he's the GOAT, you know what I mean? Or see something about Curtis Mayfield and for other generations, right? And you could have crates too. You could have like, I don't know, Betty Wright, you know, you could put in, you know, Ramsey Lewis, you know, other guys that you get crates from. But once Eye Candy blew up, 
that article got shifted out. Yeah. And here's another thing that I candy took away. Because I was there in these magazines. When I candy blew up, right? And the hose blew up, the yeah, video vixen true. blew up because now she could be featured. That spot for that female now counts as a female artist. So I was at a certain magazine and I said, yo, she's done too much. Let me write about Jean Grey. From oh, yeah. 2000 to 2004, she just released the album with Ninth Wonder. Remember when she did the different covers and they were dope? Remember the Cuban like Links? comic book style, like right? a hybrid. The style. Cuban Links cover, she did her Das Effects cover, <laughs> Public Enemy with Ninth Wonder. I was like, yo, let, it even has dope covers. Let, let's do one of those. And, let, let's do a piece with her. They were like, nah, nah, we all, you know what the answer was? It, they didn't even have to give me the usual, nah, we don't know about that. Nobody cares about that. That's the usual answer, by the way. The answer was, we already got our female artist. And I said, which one? Which one? So I could see what artist though. You know what the artist was? No, I can't. Even. Tits. That, it was tits. Someone with, with tits. That's who it was. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's definitely so now the, the female, the video vixen counts as a female artist, you know what I'm saying? So now when we look at 2020 and we say, oh, why is it that people like Cardi B and them blow up? Well, the system was already there for now where you could merge the two. So when we say who merged the two, the video vixen and the actual uh, entertainer, that actually wasn't the industry. That was the idea that the media gave the industry. And I get blackballed because I said, shame on those people. And they know that I know who they are. Shame on those people for doing that. So when they went to King Magazine, it was going to be all about that kind of stuff. And I said, I can't sit down. You know, my old earth is alive. She looks at my articles. Everything about hip hop is too much cursing, all of that kind of stuff. But it, it, bring, it brought her joy every time she saw my name in print. Yeah. And she sees my name in print though. Asking some woman about her bra size? Yeah, that would like, yeah, that'd be different. I don't know. We ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Because I can ask all types of female artists what, what they are. I know plenty of female artists, and it just wasn't there. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, when people talk about the, the difficulties that a Lauren Hill might have had and everything, I don't care about you want to talk about her lateness and all kinds of things. Those are things she shouldn't do. You know what I mean? One wrong action doesn't justify another. Yeah. But the things that she must have had to go through to try to change what she was doing. People don't understand how insurmountable that, that was. This is why when you see her perform in 2002, she's already crying. And that's another reason why I started to call it 2000, the dark ages. I'm like, yo, it's in the dark ages here. They won't let me write. I'm literally in the dark. So I'm going to the dark ages. And then when I, I pretty much leave it, I'm teaching students all, I do my own thing. I'm. I, in the 2000s, I get knowledge of self. I'm teaching students. I have my own class. I'm learning martial arts. I'm deep into all these other cultures that hip hop talked about. I live it. Sure. So what happens is I start, I start writing again because people tell me to start writing again. You know what I mean? Was it, it Bronze Nazareth who like inspired you to write again during those times? It, it, really, it really was because the people that really were inspiring me was Hellraiser. Oh, wow. Um, the, um, what's that? Uh, Renaissance uh, Child. Renaissance Child. Not even Renaissance Child, but the one before, the one he did with Fourth Disciple, oh, Freedom, that, of Freedom of Speech. Let me tell you something. I was, I was a broke writer. You know what I'm saying? I was a broke writer. Um, 
the companies I worked for in publishing were downsizing. I was, I was pretty much at my lowest and those records were keeping me, you know what I'm saying? They were holding me down. MF Doom was inspiring every single record, every single record, you know what I'm saying? Because the vengeance that he was trying to do was what I was plotting. The vengeance he was displaying and wielding was exactly what I was plotting. Like, I'm going to do what Doom's doing there, you know what I'm saying? You know, and then I'm a big Wu head. Obviously, I got the knowledge itself, so it becomes more to me what the Wu says, you know what I'm saying? The RZA, the Jizza, Master Killer, you know what I'm saying? These are people that now would, you know, in, in different levels though, you know what I mean? Like degrees of separation, many of those people that they know are my peers or my elders, you know, like Papa Wu and others, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So when the, the idea of the next generation, can we be the next generation? And then I'm at the source and I get that record, the record that Bronze Nazareth was on, the um, Wu Meets Indie. All you know I mean? the indie culture. Right. And I'm like, who is this kid, Bronze? And I said, oh shit, I remember hearing him because I was following the website with his beats on. He had a website where he had his beats on it. And I was like, yo, this is what I need to hear. But I didn't realize that he could rhyme. And for the life of me, I've always told Bronze this. I've always been more into his rhyming than his beats. And that's saying a lot because his beats are incredible. Oh, definitely, I've seen that publicly. You definitely you know I mean? that publicly. And and so when I hear him rhyming, I'm like, yo, this is the next level. This is what could reignite Wu. This is what it means to the next generation, all of that kind of stuff. And I, I only get one section in Source's 2005 year roundup. You know what I mean? Only one section they give me. And mind you, I'm the only one that heard all the records that came out. I remember, <laughs> Probably you know? the only one understood them too. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, and so I get to do the indie one, right? So I get to I get to put Sean Price in there. Right, I get to put Wu Meets Indie. And I, I put Wu Meets Indie so I don't put Black Market Militia because I feel like I can't put too much. I only have five spots. And I forget who else I put. I think I put AZ because he had, he had a, I think it was the AWOL album. You know what I mean? And I, I, I try to get the West Coast. So I put Zion I in there, right? And... Um, <sighs> And remembered into affection the brother that just returned from Zion. Yes, um, and I put them in there. I forget who else I put in there. It was five. And I was the only one that heard that record there. You know what I mean? And people just weren't on it. Like, I'm gonna give you an example. I didn't have a hard copy, I, I didn't have a hard copy of Jay Dilla's Donuts until I looked through the source bin. The source bins. I mean, they get a lot of music. The source bins of music had a copy of Jay Dilla's Donuts in late 2005, just sitting there. And I picked it up and I said, this is a classic here. Can we do something with this? I've never heard an instrument. I sound like a, a, you know what? When I was at these magazines, I was like those crazy people that say like the doom of the world. <laughs> Every time I went in there, I was, in, I look, was looked at like an idiot. You know what I'm saying? And I was like that with Jay Dilla. I was like, with Jay Dill, I was just like, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. Forget it. So you see, so you were like ahead, like you were like light years ahead. I wanted to, I wanted to write about Doomsday. Let me tell you, I always say this. In 1999, I had pitched Doom. I had pitched 
in separate occasions, Mad Villain and Thurston Howe to the magazine that I was dealing with. Wow. And they all said, nah, they don't have enough stuff. I don't even know what you're talking about. You know? Wait, how, how, you don't know what the hell Thurston Howe was talking about? And I was like, yo, it's just go to Fat Beats. You know, I was like, go to Fat Beats. And Fat Beats, oh, that's just where the white kids are. And I was like, you know, if you want to do that, if you want to do that, if you want to say that's where they are, well, you know, how come the white people listen to good music and we're listening to this shit? You know what I mean? Okay, so the white people have all the good music then. That's what it is then. And, and nobody wanted to write about any of these guys. You know what I mean? And I'm like, how more? It's because they didn't want to listen to something that was progressive. Because how you can't get more street than Thurston Howe. Can't. You know what yeah. I'm saying? There's nothing, there's only things as street as Thurston Howe. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you, if you record your album inside a, a concrete dumpster, inside the 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 the, the concrete truck where the, the the plaster's made, you know, you can't get more street. You know what I mean? But all of those were denied. So I was used to being denied. I was denied MF Doom at the height of his peak. Of commerciality when he was doing Adult Swim. Oh, okay. So I was, yeah. So I, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get anything. I couldn't. I, there's no way. You know what I mean? So like, so like being like Puerto Rican, like I gotta ask, like when you see like brothers like Pun and like Thurston Howell like making like waves in this industry, like what what kind of like the like because Puerto Ricans like man, like even like with Fat Joe, man, like they did like incredible things within hip hop, mostly like Thurston Howell the third because. Honestly, I was arrogant. I didn't know. I, I knew Thurston Howe because of his um, Skelligan Island. And this was like 2006. It wasn't until like 2011 till I actually started to learn about mm-hmm. Polo and why it was like, because I, I just wanted, I'm like, why the hell is Polo always in this? And then I realized like, this was like, these guys were, the low uh-huh. lives were going into these stores and boosts. And I was like, yo, like we would like, I may be criminal, but I don't know. Yeah, we were doing this stuff in Calgary when we were in high school. She so we were like many low lives without even knowing it. So when I when I did the research on Thurston Howell, I'm like, he got acknowledged by Ralph Lauren after all of this. So like, even like with you, like skill made or low, like how did your connection of Thurston Howell? Right, like, right. You got it, Polo, I can see. It, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that's the, that, that's, you know, like um, when Raekwon says that the uniform do mean a lot, that's always wow. been, you know, brothers, people that know me know that I, my fashion is always represented what I, what I'm about. It doesn't represent the clothes, the brands that I wear, it represents what I'm about. You know what I mean? So if you knew me in the 2000s, you would be seeing me with all types of martial arts gear. All I wore was Kung Fu geese. You know what I mean? That's all I wore. I literally, all we did was train in the streets all day. That's what we did. I didn't wear jeans in the 2000s. You know what I mean? Oh, wow, dude. The whole, the whole, the whole decade. And um, <laughs> it, the, the low lives tie in to really this invisible renaissance. So I, I go in there. By the end of the 2000s, I start to write again. And it's, I'm really inspired because of, the Wiseman, you know, and really remember to perfection, my brother Kevlar Seven. You know what I mean? I, I can't tell you how much Kevlar Seven really got me all into this because he just was a great brother. You know what I'm saying? I, I love him to death. You know what I mean? Like, and I miss him every day. You know what I'm saying? He was the he was the greatest. You know what I mean? And people don't know that he actually had the writing skill of just like bronze. You know what I mean? He really could write just like bronze. You know, he was a guy that made beats just like bronze. But he didn't like his own to rhyme on his own beats. Yeah, that's yeah, probably man. one of the differences why Bronze was able to, you know, make his music uh, quicker. You know what I mean? 
And um, in, I start to write a blog and that's because I'm trying to sell my own newspapers. So I go in the late 2000s, I make a newspaper called Our Swords, like Our Sacred Words. And I'm selling that in the, you know, in the streets. Um, and basically what I do is I interview people for magazines and I keep the best part. You know what I mean? Oh. So I'd interview Jay live, but I keep all the good stuff for me. And I give the magazine the generic shit because they already want the generic shit. That's true. So I keep the good stuff and I have a feature of Jay live. You know what I mean? I did the same thing with Terror Squad. You know what I mean? So I got one of the, the, the last interviews with Terror Squad, but I never got to meet Pun. The only time I got to cover Pun was when he was in his wake and I saw him laid out there and it was terrible. It was personally traumatic for me. It was just really a sad day. You know what I mean? It was such a sad day because he was such an, uh, you know, a real icon. Until Pun came, people in magazines were still not bearing witness that the fact that Puerto Ricans, not only being a fact, the largest population in the Bronx in the, in the 80s and the late 70s, right? And being co-creators in hip hop, being monumental to many of the moves and the foundation of not only up rocking, but also down rocking, but also in the choice of music because the choice of music that was being used was with polyrhythmic structures, right? Coming from not just the music, not just from the horn section, but when the polyrhythms come from the drums, that's coming from the Afro-Latin bass, which is really where my people are coming from, the Latin Caribbean. Because American music doesn't have a polyrhythmic structure until the Cubans and Puerto Ricans come and bring it back into the music. You can find Dizzy Gillespie saying the same thing when he said, our polyrhythms were only in the horns. Whereas the polyrhythms were not in the drums. It's only when people bring out anomalies like legends like Art Blakey or, or Max Roach who were able to play polyrhythmically. But I'm talking about like a band where you have two different drums. Remember, cause like a salsa band has three different drums going. Yeah. You know, you have conga, bongo and timbales, you know what I mean? And you have all these other little things playing, maracas, you know, cowbells, everything, everything is going, you know? And the piano is played like a percussion instrument, right? All of that is influential to hip hop, just like Jamaican culture is monumentally a base of hip hop. The, the, the rhythm, the bass rhythms of hip hop, the toasting, the, the sound speaker style of battling, these are all Jamaican culture. Americans did not make this up. Americans had battle raps, they had rapping, but the way that people rap was coming from the toasting culture. It was not coming from, oh, look, I remember that somebody in 1920 did this. Yeah, yeah they like, weren't doing that in 1920 in the And then some of it is innate. You know, if you ask old breakers, though, they do stuff that looks like capoeira, but they don't know that capoeira even existed. So some of it is innate. You know what I mean? So in magazines, then Puerto Ricans, we couldn't even get in. So I'm every magazine I was, I was a lone Puerto Rican representing Latinos by itself. You know what I mean? So I could only interview Latinos and it was very difficult. You know what I mean? And it became a thesis of mine to try to show and prove that. When I interviewed people like uh, Fat Joe multiple times, Fat Joe would tell me things he wouldn't tell anybody else. Like when he told me that they tried to make him a freestyle singer. Can you imagine 
Fat Joe singing freestyle and dancing. Yeah, really, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> even now, the mo- even with his pop hits, he doesn't dance. You know what I mean? It's terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I, I just think this, that the, the major historical, uh, one of the major historical lies of hip hop was to make, was to make it an African-American culture only so that you could sell it and say it's for everybody, but it's from originally African-Americans. And that's the flaw because it is not African-American. It is black and brown diaspora. And when I say brown, I'm still saying black. So it is of the black diaspora and you don't have a culture, an actual musical culture coming from a complete black diaspora of Caribbean, Latin, English, Caribbean um, and American all in one. You don't have that, you know, that doesn't exist. And it's something that's amazing, but something that was washed away. So people don't see the roots, you know what I mean? So they don't see the roots. So they don't see that. Look, every single club that hip hop went into, like for example, we take Jerome Avenue in the Bronx and every single hip hop club that was there before hip hop played there, all the old legendary salsa singers were playing there and doing the same thing, having fights, getting into bra brawls, all the hip hop shit that you think hip hop was doing, salsa was doing that. Because before you made street music without instruments, right? Hip hop, you made street music without being formally trained to play music, salsa. Salsa was the first urban genre of New York City. And all those players, like Willie Colon and Ray Barreto, they were considered hacks and they weren't respected by older people like Tito Puente because they didn't know how to formally play music. They were learning on the road. That's why old Willie Colon records, they sound like they will distort your speakers because it's a small little place and they're playing three trombones, all of those percussion instruments, Hector Lavos wailing through it all. You know what I mean? So the culture that was coming out of the Bronx and Harlem was so grimy. If you take out Puerto Ricans, you take out that whole, and, if, and also Jamaicans, but people try to do now too. You take away the whole like genesis and try to understand how hip hop becomes to be. How does it, where you get all these people come in? Like, how do you get Bimbada saying, let's unify by doing hip hop? People don't do that. Yeah. In the streets, they don't do that. You have to go through a lot of killing to get our people to, to, to not kill for their next meal and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, you have to go before and you have to go through, um, I'm forgetting the name of them though. The, the, um, they weren't the, they weren't the ba- Barrio, they're from the Barrio, but they were these Puerto Rican brothers. They didn't make great music, but they became community activists and they were Puerto Rican. And before that, they started to bring black and Puerto Ricans together and one of those brothers that was African-American got killed and it set off a real storm of realization. And that's when some of those gangs in the Bronx started to become more unified. That is the seeds of what allowed Bambada to come and say, let's do all this and call it hip hop. And that's where you see people that do graffiti could all come together. And he could say that all these things happening has a little bit more unity. They're not killing each other while they do it because of all the things that already happened. That's what makes hip hop happen. I couldn't say any of those things because they won't even acknowledge that this is a diaspora, that this is like a unified thing that happened. And it's a once in a lifetime and like anomaly event. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It pops like an anomaly event. You know, it's crazy. It's crazy how beautiful that went down because 
a lot of the roots of hip hop, the Bronx didn't make up. Yeah. Some of the some of Brooklyn had these styles. Some of Harlem had the styles. Some of uh, uh, Queens had the styles, but they only could genesis. They only could form in the Bronx. And that's why Bronx is where it all started. You know, that's why you say it's the, the foundation. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I never could write about stuff like that. There are still scholars to say that they even say stupid things like Cool Herc's involvement doesn't really prove that Jamaicans are really crucial to hip hop. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I like, that's the most that. dumbest shit I've ever heard. You know what I mean? That, that, that's crazy. You know what I mean? It's crazy talk. You know what I mean? But um, by the late 2000s, I don't do magazines anymore. I try to do my own. And I had done, the last magazine I did before was Lavo Revolt. Lavo, my favorite salsa singer, one of my goats, his name was Lavo, The Voice. Oh, so that's not his name. His name is Hector Perez, but La, The, Vo, Vos. So it just became Lavo. His voice was so dope, they just call him Hector La Voice, you know? And I called my magazine Lavo Revolt, The Voice of Revolt, because Revolt is one of my favorite Eddie Palmieri songs. Right. And it was about revolt of Puerto Rican for Puerto Rican independence because songs back then were really militant. And when I start doing that, I start saying, you know, what? I'm going to write about hip hop again. And it was Bronze who was inspiring me because I, I wasn't hearing new poets, you know, that were rugged. I was hearing new poets, but then they would be soft. You know what I'm saying? I they didn't have the package like you hear po you'd hear lyrical MCs, but then they wouldn't have that grittiness that I was looking for. I was like, that's something for a book. That's a poetry book. That's not, you know what I'm saying? I didn't hear that ruggedness. And I was like, yo, bronze is just, oh man, I loved everything he was about. And then by the time I hit 2010, 2011, people are starting to ask me to write about them. And in 2011, I, I start building with Kevlar. And uh, in 2010, I'm building with Kevlar. But in 2011, Kevlar brings me to Paragon and Paragon is a designer, album designer. He did a lot of albums, you know what I mean? A lot of Wu affiliates, like Ninth Prince and all of them. He did all this shit. He did my Filtered Real cover, right? He, right? And um, he, he says, oh, I'm doing a website called Premier Hip Hop. And I say, okay. And um, Kevlar's with it too. And I'm saying, oh man, if Kevlar's with it, okay. So what you want me to write though, you know what I mean? And, um, and so, yo, you do whatever you want. And so wait a minute. Yeah, you're gonna get the a passcode and you just, you know, just write whatever you want. And I say, you know what? I'm gonna do that. And in 2012, I start to realize it's at a show. I'm with Napoleon the Legend. I tell the story a lot. I'm with Napoleon the Legend, right? And we're talking. We're at Spit Gems, fuck the radio release party. So all of Broken Home is there, right? The Broken Home crew, FU, A1, Starving B is there. Everybody can name. Uh, um, Billion Man Rebellion, uh, um, Constant Flow is there. Every the whole thing is Nems is there. Fuck your life, you know what I mean? Wow. Everybody is there, right? So it's like a dope vibe, and I'm talking to Napoleon, and I'm like just doing the knowledge, and I'm like the only journalist there. I'm the only one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's nobody with a camera, nobody, nothing. So I'm like, yo, you know? He said, yo, what do you want to do with this hip hop? And this is when Napoleon was like really just thinking of just doing this as his only work. That's how dope he was. He, he said he was going to do it and he did it. And I was like, yo, at the end of the 2010s, I'm going to be the best writer out there. That, that's my goal. Because now this hip hop writer of being a creative writer and a journalist historian, I'm going to actually show him what it is. 
I'm going to actually show them what it is, what it looks like on paper. So after I leave that night, I don't tell Napoleon this, but after I leave, I'm like, I'm talking right with um, the, the the mother of my sec- my second daughter. And I'm like, there's a renaissance here. Something to, because I'm watching all that. And to me, Spit Gems is amazing. Yeah. F.U. is amazing. All these guys, right? Starving Bee, Chazil York. I, I'm going, I'm scared. You bump into skanks. When you go to these shows back then, you bump into skanks. Holy, holy shit. You know, Bankai fam. You know, Dro Pesci. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Everybody's here. Everybody is here. This is so much fucking hip hop. Don Pacino. Bugsy the guy. Everybody is, I'm like, and I'm going home. I'm like, Sean Price is at his peak. Uh, Rock Marciano. Ka. I just... I literally just heard Ka's grief pedigree. Oh God. Yeah, so I'm like, nah, nah, this is a fucking invisible in renaissance. And there's a renaissance, you know? And I'm thinking of Hellraiser because Hellraiser is the one that always says renaissance child. Renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking renaissance. And I'm like, but I'm the only motherfucker that's, that's, that's there. It's an invisible renaissance. I'm the only one that's there seeing it. So I said, yo, this is the invisible renaissance. And I start calling it the Invisible Renaissance. It's Invisible Renaissance. And I start writing things. And I say, listen, not the way that a hip hop writer will be an element is not only will I technically write about the music in a deeper way. Now, that's a hot beat, soft beat, slow beat. That's whack. Yeah. I want real details. You know what I mean? And you could write good musical detail without snitching. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like those gold, those good British guys at whosample.com. They, they always love it. <laughs> Maybe snitching. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, but, um, yeah, you can't be doing that. But the that's thing like is, that's like one of the things like I never really got. It's like if you're gonna do this, it's like shouldn't you do the research of like not saying like, oh, he sampled uh 1970-something. It's like, dude, like what the fuck are you doing? It's you funny. I love that. I love knowledge. I love learning. So I love to see what people sample, but then I also hate to see it there. You know what I'm saying? It's like that twofold thing, you know? Like there was a great sample. Um, I forget what's the name of it though. Let me let me quickly look it up though. It's a Rock Marciano's Reloaded though. This is my favorite song from Reloaded, you know, since we're talking oh, about uh, I think I know which one you're talking about. Uh, I think it's that 87 joint. Ah, uh, I know which one you're talking about. Oh no, that that's an easy sample. That's an easy sample. Everybody knows about that. Even oh, okay. <laughs> he, would have, he would have had to pay for that though, because that's that's like um that's an easy one. But this one is, it, it's, it, let's just say it's not American music. You know what I mean? It's not American music. It's not even, it's not American or Latin. But the sample for Death Parade. That's my, oh. that, that was my favorite. That's my favorite Rock Marciano song on, on Reloaded. I love that song. And they snitched. And I've been playing, I play that sample as a joke because it's a foreign song. I don't know the lyrics at all. I don't know what the fuck it means and everything. But um, it shows the genius of Rock Marcy. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, so I'm doing all this. And I said, I'm going to start to also write. These guys are inspiring me, but I have to be my own creative, you know, creative writer. And I remember, I remember one time I was, dis- I was trying to explain this to Sean Price because with Sean Price though, everybody was whack. Everybody in yeah, me I heard. I- was just trash, you know what I mean? And he, he has love for me because I'm a five percenter, you know, I'm in the street, I'm teaching and he actually has history from Allah school in Medina. That's the school in, in Brooklyn. Cause we call Med- Brooklyn Medina. Mecca is Manhattan. 
Allah the Father who founded the nation of gods on earth, he got the school, Allah School of Mecca on 126th Street and 7th Avenue. That was given to him by the mayor of the city. So we own that land. That's how much we did in the community. People always talk about the gods, they kill us. We actually got a building and land from the mayor. So when people talk shit about, oh, it's a gang and shit like that. Okay. But, but the last building, ain't no gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, for one of them, the, a lot of the father was one of the people, him and the gods of that time, the elders, my elders, they helped stop the Martin Luther King riots in Harlem. You know what I mean? And that's one of the reasons of how we got to school in 1967. But um, he is rooted in a law school in Medina, Sean Price, because he knows a lot of family that knows Akbar, who was one of the founders of that school. And so we would talk and everything. We never talked about music like that. We talked probably about soul music, you know what I mean? Because Sean Price didn't listen to rap, you know what I mean? He's listening heard, to soul music, yeah. you know what I mean? And you know, it's common with all the greats though. They be listening to shit that got nothing to do with rap, you know? They like the oldies. Yeah, you know what I mean? And um, so I'm trying to explain to him, it's the fucking most hilarious thing. You know what I mean? I'm trying to explain to him that what I do, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then one day I write it and he finally sees what I'm writing. He goes, okay, I get what you're doing. I get what you're doing. It's some different shit. All right, all right. You know what I mean? Because he never would read anything. It was like, okay, you know what I mean? You know, it's a funny story though. I had to edit it because we could edit stuff that I fuck up now on the internet. Oh yeah, sir. But I saw him, to me at the peak of Sean Price was the Christmas show at Duck Down. Duck Down Christmas show in Brooklyn where he had just released the Christmas song. You know, um, The Grinch, where he did oh, The Grinch? Yes, sir. He had just released that. So I got to see him perform that for the first time. Me and my man was talking bad shit. So we will, we didn't get to the front. I'm, I'm a short, I'm a short guy, I'm 5'4", so I gotta be in the front, you know what I mean? <laughs> get the fuck out the way, I don't wanna see your arm, your head, and shoulders, give me the front, you know? And I could fight my way to the front, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's definitely you can. Yeah. Yeah. So we miss out. So I'm like, yo, let's just take the balcony because they got a balcony at this place, right? I think it was Brooklyn Bowl. So we're in the balcony. I got my, I don't have my glasses, but I still have a good view. I don't have my glasses to see far away. And um, we see Sean Price, right? And um, he's so funny that I thought he was wearing fake locks to do his show. <laughs> he was basically wearing his cap with the, with the, with the towel. And it was coming down like that. And I published it like that. And I said, yo, Sean Price was mad funny with the locks, the fake locks. And he, yo, it, we had mad fun with that because I, I, I had I had written the wrong shit. It's like, yo, Sean, I was like a million miles away. That's what it looked like. And you know, you'd be goofballing. So I, I thought you gotta be wearing a fucking, some fucking fake locks because you were doing funny moves with your head though. Cause you know, when he would perform and he would go like, oh, uh, uh. Yeah. Like, I always call Jay Z's. Um, uh, uh. I always call that the pretty hiccup because everybody does it. They're like, uh, uh, uh. and it became the pretty hiccup. That's one of my slang terms. And I would say Sean Price would mutilate the pretty hiccup. I felt like he was doing it on purpose. And to me, it was hilarious because he would go, uh, 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 you know. And, and so I thought he. Uh, this is what I envisioned because he's so funny. And I had wrote that. I had to fix it, but I was like, it was a funny thing that we had. But he never let me write about him. You know, like do a do a feature on him. You know what I mean? And I I agree I agreed with him because I felt like every, people didn't need to analyze his music like by asking him. Everything was there. If you really understood, you could analyze the skill and the technique of his music. You didn't need to ask him with shit, man. You know what I mean? He wasn't that kind of an MC. If you didn't know the reference, well then then you're just not into it. You know what I'm saying? 
but um he was really at a peak it was such a peak 2012 it's a beautiful year you know what i'm saying it's such a beautiful year that was the first time i was noticing scott sky zoo perform with like a, a a trumpet player it's just a lot of beautiful things you know what i mean and um by the by the time the mid 2000s hit that style is defined that i have where you're going to see pieces i write about music but they're going to have poetry they're going to have prose in it they're going to say whatever the hell i want to say you'll see poetry mixed into the piece you'll see it mixed inside of a piece you know what i mean so I could do anything I want. It's my art piece. So I started to call them art on art. You know what I mean? I'm writing about art, but it's my art. You know what I'm saying? And it's pieces that I would consider them art just like the piece of art that I'm writing about. You know what I mean? And that's why I called it art on art and science on music. You know what I mean? And the last piece of that puzzle was when I, um, when Paragon talks to DJ Toshi and they need a host, I'm like, okay, I'll start doing the, I'll start going back to radio. Cause the last time I did radio, um, when the hell was the last time I did radio before that was in the two thousands and it was at WBAI and it wasn't even hip hop. It was news radio. I was doing news radio. Oh, you know? uh, so it's not even like what you Yeah. Do. Yeah. I was doing news radio and I had done college radio for, with hip hop, but I didn't do radio. And, um, and it was only because Bobito was one of the heroes too. Bobito Garcia. Yeah, he's oh, yes, and Bobito for your kids out there. If you, if I'm a Puerto Rican who does media. You do, then you do everything. You do articles, you do shows, you do your own journalism. So I was like, if he does it, then you can do it. You know what I mean? Because my, he, my heroes in this were Bones, it's three guys, Bones Malone, Bobito Garcia. And outside of that was really, as a writer and as an artist was Amiri Baraka because Amiri Baraka was what I try to be in hip hop. He was that in jazz. He made his own records. He was embedded in the music. He wrote about the music, but he was also an artistic genius, a poet, you know what I mean? And a, and, and a writer of all sorts. And he did it so, everywhere. So what he did in jazz is what I seek to do in hip hop. You know what I mean? So the blessing of the load lives was I meet Rakim Supreme Shabazz. He's known also as Rudy Lowe, the original Rudy Lowe, you know, because there's two Rudy Lowe's that are in the beginning and he's one of the Rudy Lowe's. So I'm not going to go original Rudy Lowe. I'm just going to leave that beef out. I'm, I'm going to say the Rudy Lowe that I know, that's the first, right? And like Thurston Howe, there were two Puerto Ricans in Brownsville by themselves, right? So they're founders. They're two of the co-founders of the Low Lives, right? And... Again, everything links with Sean Price. At Sean Price's wake, right? Spit Gems and a couple of other people are introducing me to other artists. Nuts, so other people are there. And they're trying to tell him that I'm not just a regular writer. And Thurston Howe breaks through the crowd, literally, right? And he goes, that's not a writer. He points at me and he goes, that's not a writer. That's the skillistrator. So when Thurston Howe does that, right? Cause I had interviewed him a couple of times and everything. Right. We had always had these great builds and I was like, okay, when Thurston Howe calls you the skill straight, you can call yourself the skill straight. They got a run of that now. <laughs> I, I, I can use that. I can use that. I can use that. And literally after that, I meet Rakim Supreme Shabazz and he tells me 
with all the stuff I do in it, because he's also a five percenter, so he goes with all the stuff you do in the community as the god, and all the stuff you do in hip hop. I think you should have your own L's because we're an organization that's just not a gang. We're all we're becoming, and we have become a hip hop organization, and you can represent that. Everything that you do. Until then, I didn't wear too much low. I didn't wear much of anything, and it's because I had so much respect for them. Not that I would get beat up. I, let me tell you something. With this knowledge yourself and having this universal flag of the five percent. I've been able to go to any neighborhood and build positively. I don't have problems, you know what I'm saying? And before in the 90s, when I had no martial arts skill or any kind of flag or anything, I was going into the worst neighborhoods to get reviews, you know what I mean? I was, I was going to Soundview to interview Fat Joe. I was going into oh, wow. Bed-Stuy and, and, and Brownsville to interview artists, you know what I'm saying? So I went and got the story. So now he, I end up becoming a low life. So that means I get my L's. So I have to go to like a event. Like I go to low goose on a deuce. You know what I mean? Oh. And I mentioned that cause it's, it's so hip hop how it happened because I have, I start collecting low and I'm not a great collector of low. I don't have a lot of money and I, I don't use the boosters like that. I'm not really obsessed with it. Right. <laughs> and I don't really want to wear pieces that other people wore. You know what I'm saying? Just cause yeah. there are a lot of old pieces that I love but there's only really one that I would really spend money on. So I keep, and I have children, so I care about them more than I care about my low. So all the pieces that I wear that people see me wear, I have spent almost no money. You know, if you people spend more money on their bullshit USPA and Beverly Hills Polo Club than I have spent on my polo. You know what I'm saying? It's, they don't know how to fucking shop. <laughs> but um, <laughs> seriously. So, <laughs> It's about picking the right piece. And then when that piece gets out of, out of stock, now you have a piece that nobody has. Or if it's a piece that's very common, will it be a nice piece that can stand the test of time? That's, that's yeah. really how you choose. Yeah, can I see some ugly polo pieces? Like this was made in 90s. Say that and not age well. People be buying, yeah. And people be buying kids color blocking. Like you're not 55 years old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm, a, I'm, I'm 5'4". I don't want to look like I'm a little in, in, in another bad creation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't want to look like that. You know what I mean? I, I, color, I have color blocking clothes, but I wear them for home and they're not like my fun with the kids. Yeah, it's not like going out and like doing an interview in it. Yeah, yeah, they're not like, so I, I, I have to show up and show and prove my low, like from head to toe. So I try to get pieces that people don't have, right? and people don't really care for, or people don't use. And I'm there, and the moment I have to show my low is the dopest moment, one of the dopest moments in my life because Sadat X is there. And Sadat oh, X is the God, and he's one of my heroes because Brand Nubian was one of the groups that inspired me to get the knowledge, you know what I mean? And X is there, and I had met him a couple of times, so we were already cool. But he comes there and he's like, he says, yeah, God, show him. So he's, he's literally talking about what I'm gonna do as I'm doing it. So Sadatics is my hype man while I display my low for the first time ever. Who could say that they have like the greatest hype man the first time they get their L's, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. and so I'm like, you have to, you know, I, I pull up, there's another piece, there's another piece, I'm pulling up my shirt, there's another piece, you know what I mean? Look at the, uh, you gotta got have the underwear, you know what I mean? I got everything, I got everything, the socks. And he's like, yeah, you know, the God is on point. You know, the Sadatics talks. It's like a fucking song. It was incredible. You know what I mean? And I meet all these other brothers and 
being part of the lowlifes, they say love loyalty, right? So many of those brothers in there, when they see that you're doing something, they give you things. And, and I'm not talking about give you clothes. I'm talking about give you opportunities, um, share their forums, all of these things they do. And it's been a blessing to be part of the low lives. You know what I mean? And that's really what catapulted that. You know what I mean? And it's a, it's been a beautiful thing. I, I love all those books. And what's interesting history is that Thurston, um, Rakim, and Bones Malone are part of the original Low Life. So, you know, Bones Malone is also part oh, of the original yeah, Low Life. That's crazy how it all ties in. Yeah, so it's all like... It's essentially there. And, and to, to put that all together, the Power Rights show that I do that is about my element of hip-hop, right? When I say it's about my element of hip-hop, which is yours too, because I consider you in this, right? Because you're quite the journalist. When I do this show, I call it the Power Rights show because Bones Malone saw a picture of me and Prince Power Rule, who goes by Marcano or The Leftovers, which is the collective I'm part of now. He sees Power Rule there and he goes, Power Right and Power Rule. So he saluted me that way. So I said, I got to call the show The Power Right Show. And I start calling it The Power Right Show. So that's how that came about. That's why right. I like Power Right. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, Power Right. That's how I came up The Power Right and Power Rule, because I was in the picture with Power Right. I was in a picture with Prince Power Rule, you know? You think if that picture never would have happened, you would have shown up and called something different? I, I never would have came up with that title. Yeah, never. Wow. Absolutely not. Wow, it could have been something totally different. Wow. It was totally different. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy when, like, little things like that, like, little details, like, yo, that picture, that was the one that started it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was that picture, yeah. If you have that picture, you should say, I want to include it. On oh, it. yeah, definitely. I, I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely send it to you. Yeah, yeah. It was a, and it was a great time too because that was the first time I met Prince Power. We had this great build and we became brothers from the. He's my big bro. All these people, legends, and you know this, legends in hip hop are so much nicer than a lot of these new kids that think they're growing right, that's up. True, yeah, that's very it, true. It's a straight fact. People like Sadat X, you know what I mean? I've given Sadat X things that he's asked me for that have nothing to do with hip hop, right? He'd come up to a show. It was all dark, pitch black. And I was like, yo, somebody's coming out. I was really ready to, because Sadax is tall. He's tall. And he came up and gave me a bear hug just for something I had given him that was nothing, real easy to give him. You know, just the love that so many of these artists have, though. You know, Sadax, Sean P, all of these people have it, though. It's just beautiful people. Like, you know? like, like, see that, like, I like how you said that, too, because um, this is the one thing that always kills me. Um, I interviewed everybody from Duck Down, from Black Moon, Smith and Western, to like, man, <coughs> even uh, Mr. Walt. But the mm -hmm. thing that kills me the most is like, I interviewed all these guys, but I've never got to like build of Sean P. And oh, can, yeah. yeah. And, and like, the just stories from like, I hear from you, from my other producer that I hear that they had interactions from. You know what? I'll tell you this as a journalist, though. You, you can understand it. Not everybody is good for an interview. Yeah. Some people that I really want to interview because I, I feel I really need to put their music out there and that I, I love it. I have to hold their hand through the whole interview. You know what I mean? Oh, well, Sean Christ. Take, take them through the interview. Other people, that's just not their form where they'll give you the most. Sean Price, probably the best interview you would get out of Sean Price, though, is probably a cipher. That's why a lot of drink <laughs> champs, drink champs aren't interviews. They're ciphers. 
they're ga- they make a gathering note and then people just divulge things that they have and people bring up conversation. You and I know that that is not an interview. Yeah. That is actually a, a, a forum. Loosely de- des- designed as, a, as an interview. But Nori is not doing interviews. He's doing forums. You know what I mean? You know, he's doing forums though. Red Table Talk is more of an interview show than Drink Champs. Yeah, oh, see, oh, see, I like the way you broke it down. You know what I mean? Even though they can use the the wide form. Some people are better for wide forms because they're so used to building that way. And I'll tell you this, you know, one of the things about hip hop that is very destructive, and I mean it for all the people I love in hip hop, as well as those that I don't know and I could give a fuck about. Too many of the ciphers that hip hop goes on are not ciphers of hip hop. Like, you know, when you go in in the studio and you're like, yo, like Goblin Studio was, or the way I see, cause I'm, I have yet to go Spanish Ranch Studio or the way that they describe it to me. Um, what's the other studios? I've been in so many studios, but um, other studios I've been into that it's just hip hop. You see the graffiti, you see people doing the elements. Like, That's yo, the element. you see people collecting vinyl. You know what I'm saying? Like you see hip hop, you know what I'm saying? You see illegal shit, you see things, life, you see life, but you see a lot of hip hop. Yeah. A lot of these hip hop ciphers where even good hip hop is being made, they're really just drug ciphers. Uh The the artists are rhyming about the drug dealing life that they lived outside of the booth, but to make the music, the actual booth is a drug house where they now do the drugs to make themselves inspired Mm -hmm. enough to do the music. So they talk about not being the custy, but when they were in the booth making the music where they're the overlord drug dealer, which might be true, outside of the booth, they actually are the custy while they're inside the booth writing and recording the song. It's a very weird dynamic, but I have seen more junky behavior by people that look down on the custy in in their rhymes because they live like a drug dealer outside of the booth, but they actually, to make their music, they have to actually engage as a custy. They yeah. have so much drugs, so much liquor, all this stuff just to make a single song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then You're like five, 15 zaddies. Yeah. Like, and what, you, what happens is you lose a lot of the hip hop vibe. You know what I mean? It doesn't welcome a lot of other hip hop vibes. You know what I mean? But that's just something that I, I see in this era now, too. Yeah. You know? It's like, then you know? that's where, like, I think that's why, like, I resonate. Yeah, I'm 30, but like, even like when I was like 27 or something, like that, I didn't like, like, I didn't like this junky. I don't want to call it junky rap, but if you do listen to it, it's like half the perks. It's like I didn't, I didn't resonate with that. I'm like, dude, like, where are like the entry, like, like Tech and Steel? These dudes have a message within, like, their album with Pete Rock, man. Like that album is so special to me because is what they defined on that, and it's monumental. They weren't coming in there it's like, yo, we were busting guns for the past 25 years. It's like, dude, these guys were spending real knowledge about having a family or having kids and stuff like that, doing the knowledge of itself. And it's like that, that that record that record really has a, a a dope life because it sounds real good today too. It does. It like writers like you though, like you don't like how do I put this? Um uh, because like I honestly I don't give a fuck about Adam 22 or No Jumper or Vlad. And that's what like a lot of people who get into media, that's what they want to be like. But it's like, dude, right. don't you want to document like the positive, like cause like I, I 
there's a very few shows out there like we built this off of positivity other than talking a bunch of shit. Yeah, a few of my peers, I ain't going to lie, a few of my peers started their platform by talking a bunch of shit. But we have that mutual respect because they know what I represent and I'll call them out on that. Mm-hmm. But once you get bigger, it seems like you forget about the underground. And it's like, oh, I only do mainstream artists. But like with somebody like you, yeah, you have, you have 25 years in this game and you go listen to a Bub Rock or a Rim or like Eddie Kane, and I gotta ask, yeah, like, salute those brothers, man. Oh yeah, salute to them. Um, they, you know, salute to them. They even gave me a shout out in the Caminantes album. So. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. A salute to them. See, and like, yeah. but like, what, what makes you like want to listen to somebody younger than you? Like, Let me, what, that's what a great that That's a that's a great question, though. You know, I mean, like, um. To do this this long, though, I couldn't do it without other genres of music. If you're in my household, around my with my children or without my children, I listen to mostly other music. I read so much. I read a lot of books. So I read so much that most of the time when I read, I never listen to hip hop when I read. Those are other people's words. So it collides with what I'm reading. I listen to so much soul music, jazz and salsa um, and all the other, you know, so much that goes into that. So there's so much crates that I listen to that I don't really get tired of hip hop. And I make sure I don't get tired of hip hop. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the thing about lasting this long though, right, is by identifying what is wrong with the music. So people say like, oh, soon he's, he's a hater. He doesn't like anything and stuff. If I didn't tell you what was wrong with the music, I guarantee you, then that would be, I would be consuming it and letting it become part of the package. That's why I call what I write the filtered reel. That's why I called the book that. You gotta if filter. I didn't filter it though, those toxins would have killed me. You understand? Those toxins of bad music or bad intentions. Like for example, you see all these journalists, right? I know, cause it does to me, Bad journalists will never not be an issue with me. You know what I'm saying? If people act, say I'm critical, I'm critical to the media first before I'm critical to anybody. My own field, I'm critical first before any other field. And when I look at something that people are doing, I try to see when people do stuff like they only want to um, do trending stuff or they do stuff like Vlad and things like that. A lot of that has to do with the way that they were trained. You know, when I was at major magazines though, by the 2000s, they were already asking me to include said such and such beef into the article. So a lot of articles, again, I become a bad worker, not a bad journalist, but I become a bad worker for a magazine often. That's why I'm in every magazine because <laughs> I'm not a good worker because I, ref- I end up going back without that story. You understand? Or like I usually do, I get the story that they're asking for, but I don't include it. Cause I, I want to know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but I don't, I don't give it to them. I don't give it to them. You know what I mean? So I know the beefs. If I interview somebody, I know all the beefs that they had, but you don't see it written in there because I want people to be known for their music. Yeah. You don't want to know he beefed know, so-and-so. These and forms, for it. Right. These forms, mine's yours and very few, only a handful. 
are people going to talk and be able to be known for what their music is? Where people say, I would like to hear him talk about the music. Some of the artists can't even do it. When you read Prodigy's book, Remembered Imperfection Prodigy, how much music knowledge do you get out of that book from the experiences of making Infamous and Hell on Earth and Murder Music? Three absolute essential albums. You get very, very little information, very little inside information of how it was to make those albums. No, the guy that edited that book and co-wrote it with him and the publisher didn't go, you know, we're missing some musical stuff. No, you know why? Because it has beef and it has shit that if he had really thought about it and the editor was actually hip hop and the writer that wrote it with him was actually from hip hop and actually might've been black or brown and know some shit about the hood, would have been like, nigga, this is like kind of snitch material. Let's just leave this out because it got nothing to do with you. It's going to come off wrong. Yeah, and, no, it did, and it did come off wrong. And it did come off wrong. And it's like, that don't belong in there. There was nobody to tell him that kind of shit, you know? So we get a whole bunch of biographies by legends and those shits don't have no music history. Yeah, because I, I got that book right there. And now that you say that now, because I remember the <laughs> chapters are, are named after the Mark Deep albums. And mm -hmm. when I was reading these books, he was talking about should be the street life and who was snitching on who and have exploded being killed. There was nothing about, you know, we went to the studio to record Eye for an Eye of Nas or Raekwon. Like, there was pictures, but we never got the story the, the, of the it. Greatness, the greatness of that book is really his experience with Sickle Cell. You know? And I think that Prodigy has a great voice, even in book form. But yeah, he did audio for that, too. I remember that. The person who did that is in hip-hop. They're not fucking hip-hop because they did that. And they constantly do shit like that. The thing is this, right? I blame also too, when you talk about the quality of what the forum will talk about, like a Vlad. Vlad, I don't blame Vlad. To me, that's a cracker and that's a devil. And he's in my degrees of who's the, who's, who's the colored man, the Caucasian white man, the Yakub's graph, the devils. He's, he's textbook in there. You know what I mean? Like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm in there. He's right in there. I blame, and to some extent, I blame every single artist that ever went on there. Because, and I could say that, and I could dare to say that, even if it's people that I got love for and that I even know, because when they had the chance, all of these people, I'm gonna tell you this, a large percentage of great artists, like, and for you, Lo, I'll say great artists, in other words, in Lo's mind, he'll say, I would like to interview him, okay? So anybody that you, Lo goes, I would like to interview him. I have tried to get them. Just know that I have tried to get them. It's not 25 years where I just don't try to get them. I have tried to get them and my form wasn't big enough, but Vlad's was. So they went on Vlad and they thought they could say the things they need to say about music with him. You know what I mean? So, and I don't, I don't do that. I don't go around going, oh, fuck him, fuck that. What I did was say, my choice was in this, 2010s was if I'm going to get back into writing, even bef right before I called it the invisible renaissance, I'm going to write about what I think is the best music. It just so happens that I truly feel that the best music is what we're hearing and what we're covering. Yeah. Look, I love Nas and I listen to the new Nas album because Nas is a incredible MC, but as a totality, that record could never be as great as other records me and you are listening to because it has so many musical flaws. It, uh, yeah. It has so many musical flaws though. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no way. There's no way. Now, is it the exhibition of a legendary GOAT candidate MC? Yes, it is. It should be in your collection. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? But it's never going to be the best record this year. And if you think that, it's because you haven't heard the shit. And that's why it's Invisible Renaissance, because you haven't heard the, the better stuff, the shit that makes no mistakes. We have records now, and you know it, that they make almost no mistakes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You know, Ty Ferris is one of those artists who, like, he, he, he'll make sure, like, they... Which, which Ty way. Ferris album has a song where you go, hey, you could have left that one off. Yeah, none. <laughs> none. He has right? albums that he'll take all See, of them the thing off is, right, not every MC is for everybody. So yeah. when, when I judge music, I judge it, like, what is the potential of this MC and what is their, what is their style? What, is their, what are the, the styles that they hit? And are they peaks? And a person like Ty Ferris is a great example because his potential, he hits all the peaks. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's what makes it so great. It's more lyrical. It is more slow paced. It is more thought, pro it is more thoughtful, insightful. Now, then when you judge music, all of those levels, he's at the top. You know what I mean? So it's like judging Jizza. Jizza is a GOAT candidate to me. But if you need him to be the kind of showman like Busta Rhymes, then your your categories are off, though. Yeah. So it's like oh, every category exists, but every MC is on different levels of them. And, and let's keep it real. There's really only like, if we get technical, there's really only one MC that is at the peaks of every single category. And that is KRS-One. That's KRS-One. They really name every kind of MC category there's only one guy that is at every single peak. Because if you go, no, Nas is the GOAT. Nas cannot perform the way Karis one can. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you already got it there. Go, what about Busta Rhymes? Because Busta Rhymes really can do everything, right? He's, to me, in a positive, when I say it positively, he's the ultimate pop MC, right? No, but I can agree with that, yeah. He doesn't have the depth of concepts or the depth of lyricism that Karis one has. So it's not fair. You know what I mean? At every level, Karis One is at the top. And if you go charisma, you go, no, Karis One is a charisma. Unless you're judging charisma by beauty, some kind of westernized beauty, yeah. then you're not getting that Karis One is one of the most charismatic people ever. Like, have you ever seen this guy's stage presence? <laughs> yeah. You know, I tell my oldest daughter all the time, though, you know, because she, you know, I've, I've, I fed them so much hip hop that it's not the music that they listen to. Just to salute to my daughter. I love, I love my, 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 my oldest daughter so much, Luna. She's going to be 20 years old. We're, we've been disappointed this week because we were going to go just say how broad I have my children. We were going to go see at her, this is her, one of her favorite artists who I like a lot too. And I have a big catalog of his. He, he decided to retire, so the show was canceled. We were going to go see Tony Bennett. Oh, wow, Tony Bennett. Holy you know what I mean? This is, this is how much the crates go deep. We were going to go oh, see Tony really? Bennett. My Tony Bennett collection is almost at 500, is at 500 songs. That's how much <laughs> crates they have, though. I collect a lot of shit. And the, 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 thing, the thing about it, though, is, that, like, is this diversity of what we're covering you know what I'm saying? There's so much music that all this ranking shit is all bullshit. Yeah. You notice in my writings, right? You see in my books, I never put stars. I don't use mics, stars. That's what I liked about shit. it because you weren't you weren't rating these guys like, oh, his word plays at a thousand. It's like, dude, he's giving you the poetry and pain that it, these people put in the it's, it's really whack. 
even after I did the filtered real book, I said, I'm not doing any, I don't do any, like when I do my reel of the year, my reel of 2020, reel of 2019, I no longer do them ranking them either. And say, this is the best record. That's the bad, but because the only way to rank them would have been to impact. And sometimes uh -huh. I get impact, right. And sometimes my own personal bias peaks in because it always peaks in, you know what I mean? But I hate doing that because sometimes the record that you pick number seven often has a qualitative resonance, just like the first one. You know what I mean? And I, when I write with all this music, I, I don't want people to just listen to what I love the most. I want us to also realize if you read Sunya's or listen to Sunya's, you could find something that you love because he's going to show you the whole universe. I'm fucking Willy Wonka. You know what I'm saying? I'm showing you the whole chocolate factory. You know what I mean? Every candy, not just, you know, That's true. what I, well, my, well, my favorite chocolate. I'm showing you all the candy. You know what I'm saying? And um, that's what I'm trying to write. You know what I'm saying? That's how I try to write and really cover this. Because in the end, though, there's really going to be only a, a handful of us where people go back and say, I feel like there was better music at that time. Yeah. Because, you know, when you go into jazz music and you study jazz music, you don't have a place. There's very few places you could go to really find documentation of like, what was the, who were the real jazz players of the eighties and the nineties? You know what I'm saying? You only find commercial outlets and you'll have to start with a commercial person who had quality like a Winton Marsalis and then go backwards. You know, with people like us though, you don't have to go and, if you if you did it in the future, people would collect Nas, but they might not. It, it may not trickle down. Yeah. The truth is, if you follow Nas, it will not trickle down because Nas. I love Nas, but look at Mass Appeal and everything they do. They're not in tune with the best shit. Yeah, no, they're not. And I keep I, I keep it straight up though. They they don't even have the best writers because I don't remember writing at Mass Appeal yet. That's the one magazine I haven't written. I haven't written in Complex and Mass Appeal. So they don't have the best writer, you know what I'm saying? And I keep it that arrogant because I can. So they're not in tune with the best music. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no, and even with the documentation now, right? You get people like artists that we love, like Talib Kweli, and then they'll interview people that we were getting. They don't get the same interview. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they don't get the same information. In fact, they get lesser information you know i mean? noticed that actually they get lesser information because you're, you're being, yeah like when tali if tali quali or 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 nori and them if they interview somebody that i did or you did they're reinventing the wheel they end up interviewing somebody that oh yeah i already talked to i did sky zoo this year right for yeah. the power right show they did sky but, zoo I already did him. I don't even have to talk about ghostwriting like Kwali did. Because I already talked about ghostwriting when I interviewed him with Toshi in 2020. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like they're late to the game, though. But because our forums aren't being put out there and realizing that our forums really have the details, then they don't get them. You know? Look, I, I put to you this. Like, look, what what's really the quality you know, interview out there that gives you details about really which could be one of the top five records of the year, the channel 13, the, I mean, not channel 13, 13 you know, yeah. that was, it was yours. 
I saw, I know, I saw the other interviews. I watched all of them. One was talking about the fucking Mets. I love the Mets, though. You know, oh, what I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got it. I'm a big Mets fan, but I, I'm not talking to Farrell Monch about the Mets on air. I'm talking about Farrell with the Mets after. We're talking about the Mets after. Yeah, like you can like DM or something like that. Not yeah, yeah. We do that later. You know what I'm saying? This guy has too much. It's a fucking legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there, there is none. Other interviews were talking about other things or things that we already kind of knew about. We already about. know, yeah. You know? So it's really a visible renaissance because even if people say the music isn't as invisible anymore, I think the documentation certainly is. I, I consider us certainly invisible. You know what I mean? And, and criminally so too. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I see, okay, like, there's other platforms out there, and they be charging the guests, like, like that. I notice, see, this is the thing I notice about, like, other people like us. We don't charge people to come on our platform. It's ridiculous. But, it's ridiculous. But there's, but there's other people out there that are charging these upcoming artists that we already covered onto the show, and I noticed that they don't have, the, they don't have a Bob Rockin', they don't have a Rim interview, they don't have a K-Burns interview, because why? Because they're smart enough not to pay for this vulture. Mm-hmm. That shit is crazy. That's, I find it, a lot of people don't get that. Doing journalism this long, though, to do it the right way, though, you lose a lot of money. You lose a lot of money ventures. For yeah. me, I've lost a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of chances at getting money. You know what I'm saying? But I knew that I couldn't do it. I literally couldn't do it, though. You know what I'm saying? There was a certain magazine I was at, though, right? Where... It depressed me so much, right? When I was there, that I didn't listen to music when I would go home. Oh yeah, that's definitely. I didn't listen to music, any kind of music. I went home, watched a movie, and I, I wouldn't go, listen to any music. I mean, that's when it was extreme, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I knew that I couldn't be at certain magazines that long. You know what I mean? But more so than even the music. The media is more of a business than even the music. Yeah. Even more because they need a product and they don't make the product. You know what I'm saying? Mm, they need a product to latch onto and they don't make the product. So the only control that they could have over a product, right? Because the media is supposed to be a service for us listeners. But instead, they do not define themselves that way. They define themselves by the product that they present to you. The product is the artist that they present to you. So they're not looking at themselves as a service. They look at themselves as a purveyor of a product. So they try to control the product. How do you control the product? You control the product by making certain sounds that are more commercial, more viable and acceptable. So you start to do reviews and say, this is kind of hot. This is what they like. And this is kind of what's hot. You know, you've read reviews like that. This is what's in. And so it's banging. And he's really doing. I know that there are at least, I we probably find about 10 to 15 reviews of Nas's new album that'll say that the little annoying fucking hi-hats and the trap-isms that get thrown into certain songs that Hit Boy does, that they sound so brilliant and are so hip and, and, and um, revitalize him to a new audience. Yeah. As opposed to me, it kind of embarrasses me and I start to lower the dial because I, I feel embarrassed to blast. Bad, 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 it's bad. a little too trappy and, and drilly, even though Nas is killing it. You know what I mean? 
there it's the media that makes certain sounds that are lesser more viable you know, sure. if we're listening to music on music on the radio that sounds like a shitty video game <laughs> yeah it's true you know what i'm saying like shitty video game and i'm like who who prepped us to like this stuff yeah because not one of these kids out there was in the street out there playing that kind of shit and saying, yo, this, I, I, cause I was there, I was in the New York streets. I didn't see anybody go, I'm being daring enough to say that this is my fucking music and nobody does it like this and go, blip, 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 deck, 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 you know, do whatever. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, that's the next shit. Not one person. It was media convincing you that what the labels were doing is incredible stuff. And then now the kids in the street go, Hey, this is what's popping because she is so fine. You know what I mean? You know what That's saying? how it works. It's real simple. No, but when you say that, I'm thinking back in high school, like how would we, how we, how we would find music, and it's like <clears throat> we were like, he's hot. They're doing that, yo, and it's just like, yo, that's fucked up the way you put it like that. Because the labels, I remember being so, I remember like as a kid being so infatuated with the shady aftermath, and then when you just said that, it's like. Dude, it was the labels telling you to do that. It wasn't the people. It was, the... but then what? But then when you start to go out and live life, that's when you start. That's when they go into these parties. And they were playing Wu Tang, Thirty Six Chambers. Like, dude, like they weren't playing this on the. Cause I grew up in the two thousand. I got fucking Wu Tang Iron Flag. Okay, I didn't get experience Thirty Six Chambers. <laughs> oh, so when we so we we go to a party, we hear Gravel Pit. Like, mm-hmm. all right, that's new shit. But when we heard like. Um, Tiger style, uh, I forgot what uh, shame on you. We were like, what the fuck is this? Like, how come this don't sound like this anymore? And it's like what you said. Mm-hmm. The labor is marketed to something else. Yeah. And, and see, the good artists like, or the even, we have to say the legendary artists, musicians like RZA, they take it as a challenge and they end up making a gravel pit. Because nothing yeah. really sounds like gravel pit. But then you also listen to gravel pit go, boy, it, but I don't want to hear it that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You can hear the 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 mistakes of Gravel Pit, but you could also hear the innovation in Gravel Pit yeah. because the drum syncopation in Gravel Pit is very distinct. But it also has the pop flourishes, and you're like, yeah. oh man. And these are the kind of traps that the great musicians were falling into as well. I never get mad with RZA because I with RZA, I go by the by by the Chuck D rule. Chuck D said in his Fight the Power book that an artist, after a certain amount of time of success, his next albums ought to have some experimentation on them. And so RZA being a musician, I actually want to hear experimentation because you might hear the next shit. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of those records, Iron Flag, The W, definitely, even Eight Diagrams. That, yeah. Like the, the, uh, stuff that, you hear stuff that fails, but then you hear something like, I've never heard anything like that before. Even if it has some mistakes in it, you're like, yo, I never heard nothing like that before. Uh, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Because even still, Riz's sample game, if you're really digging it, his sample game in those latter Wu albums is really good. And he has stuff that nobody's ever sampled. You know what I mean? Right? Like, look at the baseline on Let My Niggas Live on the W. Now, I mean, that's, that's the way it's going. It's skipping. That, that's it. That's it. That's like it's amazing. Uh, the way he used the uh, dance hall on uh, One Blood and Jaw World. Oh, yeah. I mean, that the those are worth 
a couple of doozies for me. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? Because you can't get those songs without some with trial without trial and error. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You can't get those songs out of trial and error. And the daring is that he's trialing error. He's doing trial and error probably at the worst place. That's the problem with the Wu albums. RZA probably shouldn't have trialed and errored while he was doing an album with other guys. You know what I mean? Because they want to MC, And then he's giving him experiments, though. So I can see how they got mad. You know what I'm saying? He probably should have done those experiments on the RZA, Bobby Digital albums, which oh, yeah, so they, they already have a lot of experiments on them too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, we still ain't got that movie from him. Oh yeah, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy in the clips. Remember the kung fu he was doing? It's yeah, funny. and then it's like yo, we hired us hate for like 15 years, and it's like yeah, we, yeah. Like, we I had that. I had the cassette. I had the cassette. Remember the Bobby Digital. The, um, the domestic yeah. violence cassette. Yeah. I had that. Yeah. I had that. See, like, with, like, um, with also you, like, because, like, this is, uh, I said this with terminology, and it always replays in my head. He was in print. Nowadays, these kids, or even, like, oh, I don't even want to say kids, even, like, grown adults don't know that feeling of going to the store and, like, getting a new magazine and just to see what was in it and actually reading, like, you know, okay, mm -hmm. let's see. He says this about this song. He says this about this song. Maybe I should check this out. No. The now value, it's, now it's, value in a hip-hop, in a collection now is how you is how you collect it. Oh, it's always been how you collect it. So that's why now what gets pitched to us is a playlist. And oh, my God, yeah. Playlist, you know what I mean? There are people that get hired to do Spotify playlists. And when you do a playlist, what happens is that artist is going to be featured in it, but he's not going to get that much out of it. And what I don't like is that you don't get to really explore the artist's depth. You know, in my personal collection, which is really all digital now, you know what I'm saying? And the digital era, I love it because it allows me to be a journalist that doesn't lose all my money. To be a journalist, though, I can't, I, I, have, I have stolen from labels. I have stolen from record stores. I have stolen from radio stations. I have done all that. You know what I'm saying? So now I get everything. I make sure I, when people ask me, yo, Sunis, artists respect. So they don't go, yo, Sunis, did you buy my record? If I write about it with love, that's enough. Because the only way that my, my thoughts and my opinions are worthwhile is if I heard everything. The only way I could hear everything is if I make sure I hear everything. And by any means necessary, I make sure I hear everything. You know what I'm saying? So by this time, we're in August, middle of August. I already have 200, about 250 albums. I can give you the exact number. I'm talking about albums this year. Let me tell you how many albums from 2021 that I already have. I make a list of them, right, Low? And on that list, I, I even highlight them to, see, to let me know if I heard them already and if I didn't hear them. And then I even do a special highlight to see if I heard them um, briefly or in depth. So I already have, yeah, I already have over 200 albums. Oh, shit. I just want to share. That, that's just 2021. And these are not albums that are bullshit. If I, if I thought they were trash, they, they'd be deleted. These are albums I think are all worthy. That's how much music there is. That's quality right now. You know what I'm saying? So when I look at things like that, I I think that for the listener, the quality can be, you see now a lot of quality is being sparked back with vinyl, where people collect vinyl. Yeah. And wow, 
vinyl looks beautiful now. It really does. You know, some of these vinyls that come out are beautiful. Like there, you can mount them on the wall type beautiful. You oh know yeah. I mean? Like um, what's one that I have? When it was first starting, like the different colors. Um, oh, the walk Genzu, one. My, my brother, Peace to the God, Genzu Dean, he sent me um, the Wise Intelligent Genzu Dean album, which I loved. And he sent me that as a gold vinyl and I, I hung it up. Oh, wow, gold vinyl, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, shit looked pretty though. Like, And then it has like a, a picture of the pharaohs in, in it. You know what I mean? It's, see, that's old. Like, that's old. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know what I mean? And, um, but I think that for me, artwork, is in treasuring the actual digital thing. Look, my whole collection is digital now. Everything, my library, my book library, my music library, everything is as digital as it could get. So I treasure it though, by how much I have and how, and what's in it and whether I listen to it or not. And I make lists on, on Google to see if I'm listening to things, what I have, the collections I have, all of that. And it's, the only way people could put value on it though is really by listening to it. You know what I mean? And being able to categorize it in their own way. So I think that instead of listening to people's playlists, I think people should categorize things in their own way and value it. You know what I mean? With trying to have some respect for the album, the album itself. People don't respect the album anymore. Yeah, you know? I noticed that. And um, it's funny. We thought that the album would be disrespected by people charging mass exorbitant amounts or and or um, just letting it be a collection of songs at a specific moment. But what's happened is that they become like jazz sessions. You know, this is the music we made on this date while this brother out here was in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? And they become really beautiful testaments to a particular time, you know? And because, and that's because some of these guys are really supremely talented, like, like an Estinac or a Starker, you know what I mean? They can make records of the time. Like if you say, look, this weekend I need, Estinac makes a record this weekend, it's going to be something that's going to be valuable because he's so talented that what he thinks at that moment is going to be so dynamic. That's, by the way, that's another guy that... Like a knack man. He had commercial kind of radio. Knack. If commercial radio had some guts, though, Estinac would be so much fucking fun on the radio. Yeah, he would. Have. Yeah, some of his, some of his, yeah. All of his song, when, he, when I listen to his music, I'm going, whoa! You know, I'm doing all these sounds. I do all the ad libs. I do all the ad libs. <laughs> you know? I do Starker's ad libs. I do everybody's ad libs, though. You know what I mean? Like with that guy too, Starker. Man, I really wish I got. I got to find out. I didn't really start an interview from him, but damn, I remember uh, he was talking to me about that Mother album, and like this is before it was released. So we talked about it, mm -hmm. and then when he released, I was like, yo, like everything that he said that he, like from the concept, like from like the. Godzilla character to like what he actually believes in within his lyrics, like to the bootleg collection, he incorporated like all of his best projects into Morther, I like to say. And like he hyped that project for a good two years. Mm -hmm. But it's like I can see why he did because he knew in his head, like, okay, I'm going in with this concept. I'm not just going in to make a hot single, I'm going in to impress people. Yeah. Like, what kind yeah. of name is Stalker? Like, I remember, like, I was like, dude, like, you must have to be a hardcore Ghostface fan to call yourself that. Starker, yeah. I always saw it two ways. It was kind of like a combination of Tony Starks, but also John Starks. Oh, yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think about yeah, John Yeah, because Starks. there's a lot of, there's a lot of Nick quality to, to, to uh, uh, Starker, you know what I mean? 
So I, I always liked it. You know what I mean? I always thought it was a dope name. So, and, there, and there's another artist out there. Like, um, I never interviewed him, you know, because I want to wait for the right moment, though. But I always see, and this one intrigued me to listen to him because not because I, I don't care who you're with. I don't care who you rap with. If you can rap, I want to listen. Right. So right. Uh, he's with Planet Asia. Uh, he's under, um, I think Planet Asia is a uh, gold chain military or something. Yo, Asia, if you want my bad. But he has this one artist on there uh, named Bugsy Zeno. And like I listened to this one album by him. Oh, Supreme Cerebral. Yeah, my, I call him by his Instagram name. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. That's um, my man, that piece of the God, yeah. But I listened to this one album by, by uh, Soul Train. And I would just like, what, what brought me to it is like, he took the soul, uh, like the TV show, but he flipped it. I'm like, let me see what this, and it was like, it was something I did not expect to come out of that. Yeah, yeah. So, and then when you said like, he was, uh, he released another album like recently and you're like, the world doesn't deserve another one till they fully <laughs> indulge in his first one. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to see what this guy's talking about. Oh man. You know what? He, that was when he did the album with, um, cause he, Together, they're Clark Connoisseurs when he rhymes with Elo Kush. That's the one. Yeah, I the one yeah. that I kept and, um, Yeah. Both those brothers I've interviewed, and I love them both, man. Peace of the gods, because they're such builders, but they're so dead at. You know what? I always tell Supreme Cerebral, what I love about his music is that, aside from the incredible layering and the hardcore attitude, he's one of the few MCs where I actually hear him rhyme, and I, I love that it's so offensive. Yeah. It doesn't it, it doesn't come off like he's trying to be offensive. Like we see so many because you gotta admit, because of Eminem, it's easy to say things for shock value, but they're not really oh, offensive, yeah. you know. But he says things that are really offensive. And I find him gloriously offensive. I love it though, it's so dope. And um Elo Kush combined with him, like together, Elo Kush's voice and his patterns are so smooth. He's got that like old blues soul voice. And like you know, soul. it kind of, it clashes so much with Supreme Cerebral's, you know, because Supreme Cerebral rhymes in, in, in such a chopped, in, in a fluid chop. So it's like, we come in and, you know, it's always chopped, whereas Elo Kush is just gliding through. Yeah, just flying through. You know what I mean? It's such a great contrast, you know what I mean? And um, we hear albums from these guys and we hear almost nobody talking about them. Yeah. And I just... I always have the hope that I hope that people really buy this stuff and really appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Because people don't really get though, that no matter how much people talk about making it and things like that, are all the majority of the artists that we talk to, they are making it because they have jobs, because they have good jobs, because they have supportive, maybe couples, they're part of a supportive couple that lets them spend the time to make incredible music. You know what I mean? and really have a love for the culture. But a lot of this music though, does not lead to a lifestyle. It doesn't lead to a life, you know what I'm saying? And I said as myself, cause I write creative literature. I write creative works. I write these books. It doesn't give me a lifestyle. I need to do other things, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, but, you I do, but you do it though, cause it's your passion though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I mean, I'm at the point though, where I can't, if I don't write, this is just the way I express myself. So whatever I did write, it would come out this way. It would come out hip hop, you know what I'm saying? And I'm at a point where I can, I can say that I write good enough where I have to keep writing, you know what I'm saying? 
I have to keep writing. I have to see where it goes and stuff, you know? And um, it's, a, it's a joy because nobody tells me what to do. You know what I mean? I bet, especially coming up from the 90s and this shit being chopped. Oh, like, my God. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, these are things I would go into places and argue and start fights with. You know what I mean? See, so, I think, like, it was, like, destiny for you to, like, evolve into, like, because I don't think, like, in the magazine, like, that was destiny for you. I think your destiny was, like, in the Invincible Renaissance area because I think that you had to go through what you had to go through to understand what you want to do. Because oh, you it's funny you said that because if I didn't experience what I experienced, the people I'm talking about are were colleagues of mine and they make six figures now at these magazines. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about people that they just, they don't, they wrote things with me and you don't know about them. If I name their names, you would know who they are, you know? And they know because I contact them. Like I try, I try to make a living off this monetarily and pitch the way I write and what I do to major magazines. I still do that. Like I still say, hey, give me a column here. Give me, give me an editorship here and I'll, I'll represent all of the music that you don't have if you give me a place here. I, I do that constantly to this day. So all these major magazines, as you see, it's their choice not to have me on it. It's actually their choice not to have me on it. I'm not invisible to them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The Invisible Renaissance is to fans. It is not to people. They know how dope this music is. And they know that we're the only ones covering it. You know what I mean? They also know that it could stay there where it is because we're not making money off that. You know what I'm saying? And their, their desire is not to cover the greatest music because they'll just call what they're doing the greatest music because it sells the most. And they're certainly not interested in covering all the music because they leave us by the wayside. You know? So... When I, when I do this stuff, it's not because I don't try to bring my style and my gifts to the mainstream, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm scared of the mainstream and stuff because I make it with certain demands. I said, yo, give me that space and just give me, give me the space. I will write for this space. Give me a little box and I will blow that box up. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not giving that, I'm not giving that space. I'm not giving that box. I'm ignored by people that I know, you know what I'm saying? That I knew back then, you know? And it's not like I don't have work to prove it, you know what I'm saying? Because they didn't write any books. I did. Yeah, like you actually They have don't have, they, they did all this commercially, but they don't have hundreds of interviews. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know I that. Like that. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, they're choosing not to have this music that we love in it. They're choosing not to have it in it, you know? And that's one of the things that keeps me going. It keeps me going because I have seen things I've written for people help other people buy it. And people actually make money and make a, a better living because I was able to tell people about something. And that makes me happy. You know what I'm saying? It makes me happy because then I get to hear greater music. I get to yeah. see somebody enjoy themselves and make a living off of it. You know, exactly. and, and like it's like it's like it doesn't get more hip hop than that because like if you go back like if you go back to your school days and when you had to buy CDs sometimes you would have to trade tapes I remember trading like certain albums for certain albums I was like yo like right. like nowadays you don't do that anymore no you don't no you don't now it's an email 
Yeah, it's email. Yeah, I'll be getting But I, I won't take up most of your time. We got a couple more questions. I'll wrap this up here now, too. But oh, like, please, please. <clears throat> but with you, I remember when I was first discovering you, I ain't going to lie. Before I did my research, I was like, oh, he's part of Reb's crew. Oh, he's part of the Walkers. When I totally out the window of that, I was like, I was like, wow, this guy I got 25 years. I would like say Reb's part of him. So how the hell did you ever connect with the good brother, Reb? Oh, Rim. Um, it's funny. It should be because of Sean P. You know what I mean? But it's not, though. It's just because I overview everything. And I end up being out there. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. one of his albums that you touched upon was Uganda Lunch Meat. And I found him after that. But that yeah. album, like, I really wish, uh, shout out to Ike. Ike from the Heights. Ike from the Heights. Uh, that one of the best producers. Um, you covered that on Rim. Right. So, so was, that the, was that your introduction like to him? Uh, no, no, no. I had heard the mixtape before. Um, or the veil, like the broken eggs. With the broken eggs, broken yeah. eggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, I still say that Rim is the greatest mentor I have ever covered in hip hop. Yeah, you will never find, excuse me, not the greatest mentor. He's becoming a great mentor, but he's the greatest apprentice I've ever covered in hip hop. No MC has been under a mentorship and has become so great as Rim is to Sean Price. You know what I mean? Mm. Think of any great MC and think of who they had. There are people in this era that are great. Like Bugsy the God to Don Pacino, he's really great. That's a great mentorship. You know what I mean? Um, and there are others. I can't think of all the head, but um, the, the, I started just following Rim because of Sean Price. And I was following the music. I said, like, oh, Sean Price messes with these kids though. And it was probably because P.F. Cutton. It's probably because oh, P.F. Yeah, Cutton. Yeah. Anything P.F. Cutton plays, I do the knowledge to. You know what I mean? And um, so I just started to write about him, you know? And that was one of the other, I probably wrote, I wrote about Broken Eggs. I wrote about, was Cashmere Dice before uh, Uganda Lunch Meat? But I wrote about Yeah, it that. was before, yeah, it was before. Yeah, I wrote, I, wrote, I, wrote, I wrote a piece on that too. I wrote a piece on that too. And then um, when Uganda Lunch Meat came out, that was when I was doing the book. So I just put it in the book. I didn't put it anywhere else. I put it in the book, you know? Yeah, the filter real, right? Yeah, the filter yeah. yeah. So yeah, I didn't publish that anywhere but there, you know. But um all these people that I meet is usually because I'm in tune with the other MCs and then they tell me and then I go to shows. And look, I end up doing a show with DJ Toshi. You know what I mean? And DJ Toshi, along with Doc Ock, do the Rock the House shows. And Rock the House shows are crucial to hip hop music. Hip hop New York City hip hop doesn't exist the way it does without Doc Ock and, and DJ Toshi. No, no way. And I'm not saying that because I love those brothers or because I do classic storm radio. I started working with DJ Toshi in 2016. He's what got me back into radio and doing stuff. He was already on nearing episode 200. Yeah, because I seen on the part and it was like, because I was listening to something like, wait, this ain't something like this is somebody, this is DJ Toshi doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so DJ, he was doing, he does production, all that. He just doesn't do it, you know? But he could do production, he does DJing, everything. So those Rock the House shows, if you go to them, you end up knowing everybody. And it's not because of the performance on stage, it's because of everybody else in the crowd. You see the whole scene, you know what I mean? So people like skanks and stuff. Oh, wow, like they're, they're like, in, like in the crowd. They're in the crowd. I mean, it's hard to not notice a guy with an eye patch, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then when he they go, hey, you want to do a song? And he comes up with 20 Brooklyn niggas, you know what I mean? And they all dope. They're all dope. You know what I mean? 
Shout out to Shatik, the God G stats. Oh man, P General. I mean, those guys. No, no. I always say this, Bankai fam. If you ever come to Brooklyn and you go to Crown Heights, Bankai fam is what Crown Heights is. So if you ever see, want to know what Crown Heights is, it's Bankai fam. Equivalent measures. Equivalent I'm measures. I'm gonna keep that in mind because, like, I love those brothers. I love those brothers. They're so dope. Because you got to see like the evolution of like Rip and like where he's going, and it's like, oh wow, yeah. We we never get to see like. Let me tell you about Rim though. Rim was always a lyricist though. I think that when Price died, one of the most beautiful things that he did though was continue two things that he was taught by Sean Price. Don't forget about everybody else. You know what I'm saying? Put other people on. Show them the way. Because if you're really good, they're not gonna take your way. You know what I mean? And oh, he does that too. And, and because of that, that's why we get to see Bub Rock and Eddie Kane so much faster. Rome Street so much faster. Wavy the God so much faster. And the other oh, thing was be yourself. Rim's comedy is completely different than Sean Price. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I think in the beginning, somebody that if if your mentor was so dynamic, you probably would try not to copy him and be your comedic yourself if 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 you, even if you were because you're trying not to bite but rim has such a natural way he refused to not be himself on a record and those make these records better and better and that's why he rhymes so good and his wordplay there's something about brooklyn study brooklyn j live sky zoo uh uh rim it doesn't matter what vantage point mcs are coming from there is and I'm even, you know, I'm not an MC, but I'm a writer. Look at the way I mold, the way I, I play with words and the way I mold them. There's a way, there's a Brooklyn way of writing. Look at the way Thurston Howe flips words. There's a way of writing. You know, I think if you look at the way I write, it has a lot of Baraka, obviously, but there's also a lot of Latin American writing. I use a lot of run-on sentences. I refuse to use periods a lot of times. You know what I mean? And that's why they become poems because I, I refuse to use periods. So I, I break them into poems. And because hip hop has such a flow and there's a lot of hip hop in the way I write, that syncopation lends itself to be a poem. But a lot of times it's just a run on sentence I'm fucking with, you know? Oh, and that's, that's, that's a very, sense. I was like, very I was Latin American, it's a very Latin American way of writing. And I had no idea that I even write like that because I don't read a lot of novels. I try to read novels, but I don't read as many novels as you one would think. I read more, but I do read poetry, more poetry than novels. But um, when you listen to Rim, he has such, he has this great wordplay. You know what I'm saying? He has this great wordplay, but it doesn't get lost in itself where he's still not talking about his reality. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, he's just playing with words now. You know? He, it's he, like, no, that's his life. Yeah. You, you still get the divide though. And then look at him on, on videos and, and in the, in the Yo, video. His social, I can't go on social media in public and look at his page, man. I would, I would, he's the funniest. He's the yeah. funniest. He's the funniest. Though. That's why I always say, like, somebody out there needs to give that man, like, his own network and look, his own uh, show. There's so many guys that if radio really cared in some respect and get artists in, they never did. They always wanted a machine, and now they have a machine. So if you get somebody in the main, mainstream, which you really don't, if they have charisma, it's it's by luck. And it's bargain to me, it's bargain basement charisma. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's bargain basement charisma. That's why people get mad at me because I 
I'm still on Twitter and I always, I, I had asked for years, give me a Drake bar. I still have a Drake bar. <laughs> give me a Drake bar. Since he's still good, give me a Drake bar. I don't I get Drake bars. I get, I get um, like kids level, you know, kids level like. Um, like, like, uh, like uh, I don't ride on a beat, a parallel power kind of track, like those type of bars. Yeah, like, like baby stuff, you know what I mean? Like baby wordplay, you know what I mean? <laughs> kids wordplay, kids, you know, children, you know, like. But that don't, it's true, yeah. it, 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 it's simple words. And then he, you know, he coos, he coons and he swoons <laughs> and it looks sexy to, to girls and to some men, I guess. And so it blows up, you know what I mean? But um, it doesn't have the charisma of a Sky Zoo, or, you know, like, or, or the I charisma first album, uh, of Rim. I mean, there's, there's so many guys with charisma out there, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mentioned Elo Kush. How much charisma do you need? You know what I'm saying? I, I, find, I ain't up on Elon Kush, but I, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely get into him now. You know, oh, that, yeah, come on. They, they, you don't. There's so many great guys. And then, you know, that's what the beauty of seeing this, though. You see Rome Streets. Rome Streets would be some guy that would graduate if it was all right. Because people, Rome Streets has the shell where you think it's just all about violence and killing. So it's good to cross over. That's all they want to hear. They just want to hear violence. And he's, look, he's athletic. He's young. He's handsome. He rhymes about violence. It's cool. Put him on there. You know what I'm saying? But when you watch him perform, he has so much energy, no, so much say. dynamic energy. He has a lot of energy that you didn't see. And, you know, you'd have to go back for guys that had that kind of energy in their lyrics like that. You know, he has a real gift. You know what I knew? And I started to say Rome's was in the book. You saw I was saying Rome's is going to be that guy. He's going to be a guy. I was like, you no, know, and then like now it's like, yo, he is that guy. Yeah. And the reason I said that was because when I wrote that, I interviewed him with Toshi first. So, so humble, on time. But what was interesting about him was we were also doing an anniversary for Classic Stone Radio and we did a show and it was, the weather was terrible. It was snowy, slushy. And then I heard that he had an injury in his foot and he was wearing a brace. You know, the foot braces that you have to walk with? Oh, he yeah. had the shoe, he had the shoe on. So I was like, oh, he's not going to go through the snow for all this stuff. You know, he get this shit all fucked up. Oh, I bet he did go through right? He's the first act. So if he doesn't come on time, you got to keep the show moving and skip him. Not only is he there on time, though, he's there with that energy that we all see on these videos now circulating with the 96 audience. This is before 96 Naughty. He's all doing right. all Check his songs. He's doing the songs he's got up till then. Maybe mainly Street Pharmacy, because that's pretty much his best stuff at the yeah, time. At the time. time. Yeah. Right? That's what he's got. That's his major work right there. And he's hopping on the stage. He's getting everybody into it. And I'm like, yo, this guy not only went through all the trek of all the weather, he got upstage, he got on stage at the right time though, and he just tore it down. He set the stage up for the rest of the show. You know, he set the stage for the rest of the show. That, that track you mentioned that uh, produced by J.R. Swift, 96 Nautica, when um, I think you posted a video of him. One of you two posted a video of him performing that track recently. And like that that stage presence. Yo, I seen the crowd like exactly. Oh, like, like that was nuts. The, the crowd control, that's what it was called. Oh my goodness. Like he, the way he can control a crowd, it just like, Jesus Christ. But when you said street pharmacy, that's there, when I was always, everybody, everybody has, uh, every. All the good MCs have great flows, but Rome is blessed with a flow that is very hypnotic and he gets you into this, you know, and he keeps on, he keeps on talking and like this. 
and it just draws you in and you keep on going. And you know what? One of the gifts of that flow is that a lot of people, you won't know it unless you see them live, but it's a flow that a lot of people have, but doesn't succeed on stage because it, it, it usually gets drowned out by the beat. Yeah. Whereas but when you're on Rome, stage, it's different. Yeah. It Rome, Rome rhymes a lot from the upper. So yeah. you see, you hear a lot of vocal launch. So he says everything like it's like this, you know? And so, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's automatically like his mic could break and he's still with launch. Like yeah. he's got this part of the diaphragm. And if you ever see him, he's he's fit, he's in shape. So he clearly works those vocal cords and he's athletic shape. And that has something to do with it. You know what I mean? That has something to do with it. A lot of these MCs are very athletic, like literally yeah. athletic. You know? Like look at Riggs. Yeah. Oh yeah, Riggs. Yeah. I mean, he's like bar stars over here, you know. <laughs> but like, but like, it's like a lot of these artists are like a Rome street. So like, when like what you said, uh, his best then was street pharmacy back then. That's what I interviewed him. And then like, it's like what you said, he's mm -hmm. humble. And then, but I never knew like until we I talked to him. This guy was from the UK, one of Skeptica, and I was like, oh, so so you seen the real grimy shit. Mm-hmm. Like mm -hmm. UK don't play. I heard something about the UK. One of the things I, I, I talked to Rome about, and I talked to a lot of guys, Scott, uh, other guys that didn't get to come out in the 2000s, but they were there. Yeah. Not everybody got to make records like Sky Zoo in 2006 and go on. Even though they weren't noticed, they got to release records. Rome and a lot of other guys, they are guys of the 2000s, but the labels wouldn't have them. And so they developed their craft further while they're in the dungeon. And so when we see them blow up, their first record isn't their first record. And that's why they're so refined and so skilled. You know what I mean? They're amazing. It's, that's why it's also another reason it's a dark age is because a lot of great stuff was in the cocoon. Yeah. A lot of these great MCs that we love today, like Rome, they were in the cocoon, not able to come out, but now they're out and it's just killing the whole shit. Because I remember, oh. OG, he don't even listen to like music like that, but he likes that old Cypress sound, right? So when he's, he's like, uh, he hit me one day, he's like, yo, you check out these kids that DJ Muggs works with? I'm like, yeah, I interviewed somebody. He's like, yo, you know this guy named Lone Street? Yo, this guy, Lone Street, is fucking killing on his definition. I'm like, yo. It's so dope that people first hear Rome Streets from there. Look, I had heard some Rome Street songs earlier and I thought it was good, but, and then I lost track. Yeah. When I first heard Nasal Drip. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. Like, no, no, there's no way that this guy, if he can perform this song this way out there, because Nasal Drip has a dance hall intro. It's so Medina, so Brooklyn. with the drives you into with it. The, the air horns at the right spot. And then it's a, and seeing him perform that live, like people talk about 96 Naughty, but I know he's got to be doing Nasal Drip. Because That's Nasal Drip has three Nasal Drip, right? Nasal drip is before, is before '96 naughty, and the way yeah, that beat, yeah. okay, yeah, the way that beat booms, you know, because the break is not really like there, it's really a, a a bass drum stumble. Yeah, it just kind of like goes in there like this. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's amazing stuff, man. It's amazing stuff, you know. And once I heard that, I was like, and it was Toshi. I was like, okay, I'm a wait, I'm a wait to contact Rome Streets and stuff. And then Toshi was like, you know, because he'll he'll be like, oh, wait, you know, I'm thinking of interviewing Rome Streets. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, push the button on that. Push the button. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking duh. <laughs>
Because <laughs> Toshi will ask me, and I'm like, yeah, you know, because most of Classic Storm Radio, he decides. I don't, you know. Okay. If there's an artist that I'm like, I do not like him, Toshi. And <laughs> Toshi, Toshi will come up with somebody else, you know what I mean? Like, Toshi, he loves every he loves everybody if they got drums. So he won't really fuck with Ka. Oh, I was gonna say he does not like Rock Marciano. He likes Ka. He likes Rock Marciano, but he goes, Where are the drums? Where are the drums? Are the drums? <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, they don't make music of drums. Toshi needs Toshi, he's the ultimate boom batman. He needs oh, drums, you know. He's the ultimate boom batman. He needs drums, you know. See, and that, it's his show, and he he breaks so many artists, you know what I mean? Like people don't know how many people contact them. And now that I get to do interviews, people love, I got love for my interviews. They got love for the music that he puts on with Rock the House. They know that if they get on our show, it could help them. You know what I'm saying? Along with the few others, yourself, Gorilla Grooves, you know, the few shows that are really killing it. You know, there aren't too many, you know? Yeah. There aren't too many. You know? And like, and like the, like, I don't know what's with all these fat white podcasters out there, like trying to come into the game. And like, yeah, I'm just going to, say this right now because like you're a peer of mine but like dude a lot of these fat white podcasters out there they'll be so like oh I'm, yeah yeah i'm like this i'm like this right there's no way that i could be in hip-hop this long and i didn't see a lot of white folk the truth is, is that one of the reasons and it's not their fault one of the reasons the dark ages become a, because there are a lot of reasons right i'll give you another concept of mine in the late 90s college radio became white kid run i'm sure now we don't look at it negatively because some of those white kids are legends. DJ Eclipse, Stretch Armstrong, you know what I mean? DJ Riz, right? These are these are greats and legends. But for those three, you have multiple other white kids taking yeah. over and deciding what is black music legacy. I used to have arguments with some of these DJs, not those guys, and be like, they used to go, they used to have arguments like this, right? Breaking Adams is better than Awful One. Brand new is Awful One, right? And, and, and I'd be like, they're not very comparable. You know what I'm saying? Because Breaking Adams is classic because of the style of sampling Perfect, and, yeah. and ingenuity. Some of the lyrics, because Large Professor killed it with a lot of songs. But Brand New Being is a classic because of what they were saying and the knowledge of self in them. You know what I mean? It changed the way the culture of the 5% nation of God's nurse can relate themselves inside records and put ourselves in the forefront because hip hop doesn't exist without 5%ers. We were there at every turn. And unlike reggae, where the roster was in there because of what, what Burning Spear and what Bob Marley did, the gods weren't rhyming that overt. Even Rakim's verses weren't as overt. It was a brand Nubian did. You know what I mean? Yeah, not weren't as overt. So I would be arguing something like that with white kids, and that's exactly the perfect example. The value of brand Nubians all for one was you say, Oh, it doesn't have the value of breaking atoms. I'm saying they're both classic albums, and you don't know the value of one for all yeah. of all for one because you don't know what it was like to be black and not have the knowledge itself. Like for me, I come from a neighborhood in Brooklyn that didn't have the knowledge itself. When people talk about the heart of Medina, that's a term you hear on records. That means the Bed-Stuy and East New York, even Brownsville area, because the gods, when they first got knowledge, they went to those parts of Brooklyn first to spread the knowledge of self, 
right? Not Sunset Park. They did not come to Sunset Park. They weren't really there. So when we talk about certain records, right? A lot of history goes in the records. And if you don't know that history, they're putting the value on what the, the records and they don't know where it's coming from. And that was the problem. And with the white kids that blog now, I think they also don't know a lot of the history. Like, yo, you go to, I go to genius.com and I be fixing certain lyrics. Yeah, because they don't because it's not the I'll right fix the lyric, right? I'll fix the meaning of the lyric. I've done this with RZA, just fooling around. Like when I first got the account a long time ago, I fixed a, a RZA lyric and then I fixed a Doom lyric. And I was like, he was speaking in the Supreme Alphabet. This is what it means and this is what he meant. And people like correcting me and saying, no, that's not what it means. And I'm like, I'm like, nigga, if you go to get the knowledge itself, you are probably going to be taught by me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's always the young ones who think they know. And I'm like, you know how are you correcting me? I'm actually the actual standard of what the shit means. I would tell you what he meant on the song. And if he made a mistake with the song. But it's like, with the White Kids podcasting, right? I think it's also the forum. People have come to respect a forum where white people validate you. And that became a thing with hip hop. So what I, I get, sometimes I get saddened because a lot of artists I don't try for, they'll willingly go into other forums of people that don't really know the music that well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll be those kind of forums, like more like a suburban forum. And it'll be like, I'll see hieroglyphics on them. I'll see like a lot of guys from the 2000s that are really great and never got their chance to be interviewed really in depth. And they'll be on those forums. Whereas the hood guys that do interviews, they'll be doing the, 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 the papooses and everybody that got lost yeah. that I don't give a fuck about either. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there is a place for it though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember I had the chance to interview Mr. Lift. And a lot of my concepts of the dark ages though, like with everybody, with tech, as you saw with steel, it resonated immediately. This really was a dark ages that they came out in because they saw what was happening and what they couldn't, weren't able to break into. You know what I mean? And um, with the kids that do it, it's really a shame that they get all of these views and they don't really have any perspective. And they don't uh, know like the history of that artist. Any of the history, it's like crazy. The one, like the one, like I've been trying for this forever. I've been trying since Benny, since 2018. He'll go on a platform where the guy don't even know like the history, and the guy would be like, "So um, I just listened to your music about two weeks ago. I got every and it's like, you, you, what right, right, right. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Yo, when Toshi gives me somebody, because I don't pick them, right? So they become the more challenging work for me. So he picks somebody, and I'm like, I know about them, but I don't really collect them or I don't really listen to them as like, yeah. Toshi, I'm gonna need like a few days to really dig into and go through like a 48, 72 hour, I just listen to that shit, yeah. you know what I mean? But if there's somebody that I don't really listen to, I take a long time to really go into it. Like when I do my show, the Power Rise show, uh, I just did Raz Fresco. I'm only listening to Raz Fresco nearly most of the time. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Almost all the time. Are you early on him too? I seen your post, I think it was like from 2014. Well, Raz Fresco is a 5%, right? So I met Raz Fresco at one of the, Every year, the Nation of Gods and Earth has a, what we call a show and prove. That's where the term comes from, show and prove. And the show and prove is to prove that Allah the Father, even though he was assassinated, the best part 
is the children. And it's an event to show the children all over the world, their gifts, their talents. And we come at all over the world and all the gods and earth from all over the world come and celebrate, you know what I mean? And it's on June 13th, the anniversary of the day that he was killed, right? And at a show and prove in like 2014, I met Raz Fresco. And then I started to do the analysis his books, I mean, to his music. And I was like, oh, okay, that's peace. And he was like, I got this album coming out, Paulo Fresco Bar, and it's got the book that you edited on it, because I edited the Dollars Yourself book. And I was like, oh, Lord, that's peace, that's peace. And so I started to do the knowledge to him, you know what I mean? So I end up, it's just because I'm around a lot of people that I hear a lot about a, a, a lot of music. I think that if you put yourself around the music, you'll find the best of music. The real value I think that I would have is being able to accumulate it and then being able to detail it. You know what I'm saying? And because I see a lot, I'm able to prophecy what is going to happen. So people see like me saying it's invisible renaissance as a prophecy, whereas I see it more as like a really good observation. You know what I mean? Because I was seeing enough. So yeah, I like how you put it like that too, because like the, there's a DJ Toshi interview that I really wished. I was out, when I seen the name on it, I'm like, yo, he interviewed this guy like Sonny, and then, but it wasn't you. I really wish you did that uh, Joel Ortiz interview he did. I wanted like to see what you had to I rem- Oh, oh, that, that Toshi did, that Toshi yeah. got? Yeah, I really yeah, wish yeah. I wasn't able to do it. Yeah, and I was with my kids and I was like, you know, I, a lot of times if I don't do something with Toshi or anything, it's because I chose my kids. My oh, whole life though, that's, that's, that's first, one of the most crucial things. Look, I've I been doing it since 94, but once I had my daughter in 2001, my first daughter, it's always been the choice to have my kids. And, and then also my class. I've been teaching every single Thursday for the last 21 years. So pretty much every great event on Thursday, which I, I was telling the God, Salim, that he's always roll, he rolls with, with, with Rock Marcy and all of them and he'd be working with them. I was telling you, yeah, I'll never see a Rock Marcy show again because y'all keep doing these shits on Thursday. Every Thursday, you're here at Sony Hall. I'm never going to see y'all. And he was like, oh, I got to fix that. I got to fix that. But um, if, it, if it has to do with my kids, I did. I could get free tickets and all that kind of stuff to Ghost and everything like that. I was like, yeah, I've seen Ghost, uh, uh, you know, but I can't see my kids. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's always, it's always, it's always my kids, you know. If I missed the Toshi show, I would have loved to do Joe T. He's a fellow Boricua, but. Because like, because that's what I mean, and like, like when I see like, yeah. um, like when I hear like a UFO feed, uh, a ghost up out. I, I can't say. But you did a great interview with UFO feed. You know what I mean? You really got a lot of emotion out of him. He's such a passionate brother. I love the interview you did with UFO feed. Yeah, I didn't expect. I appreciate that. I like yeah. yours too. Like, but that's what's that's the difference between me. And, and that, that's why I watched it because I was like, I don't want to do what he did because. If you're if you're a hip hop underground nut like we are, you would be watching both of our shows. Yeah. So I want to give you something different that than than what you gave them. You know what I'm saying? And then there'll be other people out there who go interview the same guys we do and then copy off of us. Then what right. we do? And it's like, yeah. And where's they the ask answer? the same question, you know? And then like, and then they're, but it's like, and then they're like, we the best, but it's like. Okay, I understand you're starting out. You get I I see that a lot now too because I think it's the maturity in me because I'm getting older. When I feel I was like, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the best. And when you get older, it's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, let me humble myself. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of them, they're not humble. They'll get like um, they'll get like a an AA Rashad interview, and it's like I interviewed Westside Gun. It's like, dude, do you even know the history no, of you AA? Know brought, you know what brought the humility out of me? 
I'll go out there. It, I've been this long enough. I go out there and I say I'm the best. Anybody asks me, I think it's stupid if I don't say I'm the best writer. I think it's stupid if I don't say I'm one of the best interviews ever. That that silly talk. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just fooling myself. You know what I mean? That's I I earn that. But when I'm at home, no. I'm studying every aspect to find every flow. And I've been humbled a long time ago. I, I've interviewed legends that have been fucking wipeouts. You know what I'm saying? Just fucking the worst interviews ever. I remember I was with my twin because, you know, back then, you know, we had to take a guy, take a portable camera. I tell my brother, I said, yo, man, yo, Manny, come with me, please, man. I ain't going to get a picture with him if you don't come with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, four foul phones. So I'm there and I was with a legend, with a legend. And he, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you off air, like, you know, and, and, um, and it went terrible. And I was like, yo, I'm done with this shit, man. Fuck this shit, man. And he was like, yo, my brother was like, fuck him, fuck you. You do what you're doing though, because you're doing great. Just fuck him. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. I'm just gonna keep doing. And it has nothing to do with the guy being a kind of a jerk, but he just was a really bad interview. They didn't want to talk. And a lot of the guys from the 90s that do great interviews, they were horrible interviews back then. They're now, nice. all of a yeah. sudden, they want to talk about everything yeah. that they love. They're these great open books. And I'm like, so you want to tell the white boys that, but you didn't want to tell me that when I was asking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just very, that's frustrating, but funny. At the same time, kind of funny to me. You know what I mean? Kind of funny. Oh, now you want to send. Now but you want to tell me. The thing that really kept me in it, too, was a lot of legends I scored with. And I, I, the top of the list has to be like, probably my, my third interview, third. It's not like my 10th or 11th was Cool G Rap. Oh, wow, that's your third interview. Oh, and I was, I was, it was a phone interview because oh, he was living man. in Arizona and he had just released the uh, Roots of Evil, right? Oh, wow. And I hadn't done that many interviews then. I had done legends, but it was different. Like I had that's, done Pat's crew. Different. I had done Tats Crew and it was so peace. It was like being in the community. I went to Hunts Point to see what they do, graffiti legends. And I was like, they treated me like family. So it was different. It was like home, right? But then, I, and they don't get interviewed that much. But when I did G-Rap, he was so dope. He was, he was such a good guy. And he was like, where are you from? I was like, from Sunset. Oh yeah, Papa, yeah, I know about Sunset. <laughs> I know about Icon and, and he named some MCs out there, right? Icon and, 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 and I forgot who the other brothers that, and Destroy, Icon and Destroy because they were Sunset Park brothers that were rugged and they, were, they never got the chance because the labels didn't take Puerto Ricans. If you look Puerto Rican, that means if you were too light-skinned, they, they didn't take you. If you were dark, you was like, don't say you're Puerto Rican, but you'll be on, you know? And mm -hmm. um, that's a fact. And um, so if it wasn't for people like him, though, I don't think I would have been able to keep going. And some guys are so nice. Like when I tried to make my first magazines, when I told you, when I did, um, when I did Our Swords, I gave Killer Priest a copy of that when I interviewed him and he was so supportive. He was like, yeah, you gotta do what you're doing. You gotta do what you're doing. He was like, wow. And it, Yo, you go home, you're like, yo, Killer Priest told me to keep going. Man. Yeah, it's like, yo, are you stop? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're not going to stop, you know? Like, there was, I was in the game longer, but just an example, I was doing a Lavo Revolt, when I was doing Lavo Revolt, small time magazine, Karis one had done a ton of interviews already that day, and we were going to be the last ones, and we didn't have that much time, the publicist being a dick, right? And it wasn't his, it wasn't G. Simone, it was some other person, like, 
saying you only have like 20 minutes. And I was like, yeah, right, I hate that shit. I'm going to do the best I can with these 20 minutes. So let's go. And Karis one gave me, he gave me three hours. Holy shit. He gave me three hours. And I was like, yo, uh, amazing. It was amazing. You know, like th this is the stuff that kept me in it though. You know what I mean? Ice tea too, man. I lost that one too. That was a crate. I lost that one. Wow. And oh, gee, he gave me, nice. he gave me an hour, you know, this is old school where I had the cassette. And I had, yeah, I had to like sit in the front of them. It's like, okay, two, hour, yeah. two hour cassette though. You know, that's why I know Karis was two hours because I ran out of the cassette. <laughs> two hour cassette ran out though. And I put in another one and it went a whole half, you know, which is an hour, you know, but it's really just set moments where people were really great to me, you know, but um, I love this music. So I kept going. And, and, and now I, I get the honor where I'm one of the few to have written about it. So I be, it, some some of my work becomes necessary, you know. Because yeah. I think it's a blessing. I think like us as journalists and like media personalities, instead of like trying to be in competition, it's like, oh fuck this guy, oh, I do better views than him, I do this. It's like, dude, we're showing it together. Like it's like the I forget what movie it is, but it's like weak together, strong. And it's like, dude, we are together. Because if you look at like a lot of like these podcasters who like who say they're at the top, like they don't really do that much interviews with their peers. Mm -hmm. like i like our and then like the thing like with, with our age difference is too it's like your idols like bones malone and all those guys that you sent it just differs from mine and how media because mine are like a combat jack or like a doggy diamonds and like they may be people like you may not agree with but it's what was at the time. It was what it was available for me at the time now too. Right. So, so it's what's available. And then what they, you gravitate they, to. Right, right. They kept it alive though with the quality. You know, they kept it alive. You know. Yeah, it was the salute to Combat Jack. Man. One of the yeah. things that the the greats, the interviews that came after, like Combat Jack or Doggy Diamonds. I have my issues. I don't think that they make a lot of journalistic mistakes, and I don't think, for example, yeah. I don't think Doggy Diamonds knows the music as well he like he he talks about music like he knows what a good song is though but I'm, when i say know the music though i mean like actually mine through each artist catalog in yeah. detail and know it when you listen to interviews with me i know their whole catalog front yeah i was gonna say you know i was like both through their stuff i go i go in depth into it so when that's what i mean and what happens is is the gift that they had is that they showed the artists that weren't fucking with media. They showed them again that, yo, some of these journalists, you can make a good rapport with because that's the problem. And that's the devilishment that Vlad did. He developed, a, he developed a rapport with people and it got people thrown all the way in jail. Yeah. He literally got people in jail. And it got people that don't want to even want to do it. Yeah. Because of you know what I mean? Him. Like, you know, we do interviews, we're like, nah, nah, you know, off air, like we just write them up, we write the interview and stuff. Yeah. I would constantly be in places where I'd see illegal activity and things like that. I'm like, yo, that's not for the piece, right? Yeah. So when you're on air, though, there are things that you don't ask about and you don't go into. How do you do that? How about not talking about the personal life? You know what I mean? Well, All these guys did street shit. When I talk to UFO Fief, right? I don't get into street shit. Yeah, we not talk yet. about the quality of the music. And you know what? We got to hear about his history and a lifestyle that was about the music and his fatherhood, the, the his own fatherhood, raised by a father that was a musician. You know what I'm saying? You don't get to hear this kind of stuff 
because all people want to ask about is, was that real? Like this Vlad asks this people, like, was that a real gun? I'm like, yo, you really gonna ask that kind of shit? Did you know Tupac? Did, yeah, did you know Tupac? <laughs> like, you I'm know not- what's funny? He also, you know, people go just because you DJ doesn't mean shit. Exactly. It's one of the, ca- the, 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 the titles that doesn't mean shit. Because if you go, I was a DJ, that just means that you were at some club playing what everybody liked. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you had an ear for music. Vlad and other people, they constantly make horrible takes yeah. that show that they know nothing about the music and people are cool with it. And it's because the artist is not putting their foot down either. And they don't care about the form. You know what I'm saying? They don't care about the form. You know what I mean? And now that one thing I push for, and that's why you see it now, every episode I've been doing in the Power Ride show, I'm flexing muscles. I'm getting every artist that I know, and I'm not allowing them to say, oh, I can't do it now, this and that. No, you're going to be on this time here. Come on, we need to come do this. You know what I mean? Because there are other artists, though, that they know, and I've contacted them, that they should have been interviewed with me. And they're interviewing with a lot of these other people, Elliot Wilson and other people and shit like that, and getting nothing out of it, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that and, post, that's it. Yeah, it's like, whatever. You know what I mean? And that's why I don't want to hear any of these artists complain about, oh, yeah, nobody understands my music and stuff. I see, one, I see this one guy talking crazy. He's like, yo, uh, hip-hop media alley sucks. And I just actually, I'm like, yo, you just need to look harder. Yeah, yeah. You know, find the forum. Find the forum and elevate it. And I'm going to keep it real. This is a beef that I know you have. I love a lot of the guys, and I'm peace with them. They're so mad love. But to most of the people that I do shows with, that I interview, a lot of them don't repost it. A lot of them don't repost it. And now you're not just, you can help your career by a quality interview, but you're also helping me a lot when you do that. And people don't do that. And then there's other people that they have graduated where like they don't need my help anymore. So they don't come back to do another interview and let me continue detailing their catalog. You know what I'm saying? There are people that I know is gonna come back because they got mad love. You know what I mean? We talk about Rim and things like that. Rim could blow up, you know what I mean? And be on, he could be on, you know, MTV and shit and he'll come back and do an interview. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But there are others that they haven't. And whether they know it consciously or subconsciously, they they've done something that that hurts the media, yeah. the documentation of the art. If you don't come back, because there's nobody out there or up top that is gonna do better than what we just did. Yeah, exactly. Because it's taking a chance. And, like- and that's also why a lot of the great journalists they 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 ended up losing, becoming lesser known and into a niche market like a Davy D. You know what I mean? Who's a great journalist? You know what I mean? How much of the Bay Area did Davy D document? You know what I mean? Davy D was one of the first to have exclusive in-depth articles about the industry on the internet, along with quality music. But a lot of people don't know about Davy D because they didn't want to boost him up. And so his market got smaller and only known in the Bay Area though, but he's a legendary journalist. You know what I mean? That's what's happening. Adisa Banjoko, another one. You know what I mean? These are people that was there. But they, you know, the forms aren't there. 
you know right that's why like that you know how like there was a like i don't like to say change but like you kind of know how like quote unquote how lyricism came back and like the later i think like that's what we're gonna see within media soon because this media it's so saturated nowadays it's like what's different it's like okay drama 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 oh this is actually a good interview he actually talked about what i wanted to hear but half the time it's like i don't want to hear about who he fucked yeah, that's really whack. I don't care about his lotion. Like, get the fuck when out I of say, When I say this is an element, right, it doesn't mean that everyone has to be a writer and a poet as I, as I am. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they have to be a writer of prose as I am. What it means, though, is that everyone that does it has to be creative in the way that they present their interviews, in the way they present their persona, and really be detailed and say, listen, I'm a singular voice, and I represent this and I'm interviewing you so you could represent what you're about in my forum. And then they make their forum essential. And that's something that I got, I didn't get from hip hop. I also got that from a lot of my other influences in other journals, like Juan Gonzalez and his interviews, the great writer, former young Lord who do, uh, does Democracy Now, co-hosting, um, Gil, the great Gil Noble in his interviews, you know what I mean? Just watching a lot of these old legends when they do interviews, you know, and it's not even in the fields that I'm in, you know, watching great journalism and, and, and being that form of respect, you know, where like people will go like, okay, low interviewed him. That means that he's a quality artist. That's, yeah. that's the difference, you know, like they'll go, oh, he's on this guy's show. Well, he could still be trash, you know? No, if we interview him, that means that they're, oh, there's somebody I'm missing. There's somebody I might like. Because I'm pretty sure you even had like people try to buy your way onto the show. It's like, no, nah, man. Like, I just like if I like it, I'll interview you. You can't like I don't do that. Like, I never understood. It's like, yeah, let me buy my way on it. It's like, dude, I, you can do that with so many other ones. Why the hell would you want to do that with mine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't do that with me often, only because they know that it won't work. So it doesn't happen as much. Honey, as bro, you're probably telling us. <laughs> See, yeah. I'll, I'll be. Not, I'll leave them on red, but you were probably it, telling off. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work anymore. You know what I mean? I, I'll, I'll be like this. I'll write about your music if you pay me, but I'm going to write whatever I feel like it, and it'll be like a donation. Yeah, know? it's not like, yeah, but like, and, like they want you to, like, yeah. I want you to big it all up. Like, don't say nothing negative. It's like, well, what's yeah. the... Yeah, and I, I've, I've gotten that too, where people would give me that record, and I would, like, off the strength, I'll write about it, but it doesn't come out as good as they liked it. Yeah, like, and it'd be like, oh, like, yeah, I and I'm like, we're in 2021, low, like, it's like 40 years of recorded music. Yeah, like... Your record is not going to bust into the top all time just like that. You know what I mean? Like, probably takes like a good two years. Yeah, man, like, to that's bust. another thing too. Like, when we talk about like works and people go, oh, look, uh, all the best stuff already passed. That's not really why you should be listening to all this music if you love hip hop. Because the music has been around a long time though. It's too hard to just break off and be the greatest ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's stupid. That's silly talk. You know? And... The pie, you can't, it's very hard to pioneer something. That's why I say KRS, Rock Him, because they have the, 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 they have the twofold. They pioneered, but they also made classic albums. Nobody else has those two things together. You know what I mean? That's true, because so, like, you, you can pioneer, but it's like, where's, where's the album? Yeah, I don't think people pioneer. I think that they elevate certain things. They might be elevating certain techniques. That's what, again, that's what Chuck D called. Chuck D called it revolutionary versus evolutionary. So he, for example, Biggie, Big Daddy Kane is revolutionary. Uh, Biggie is evolutionary. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so I've always 
gone by those like rules you know what i mean those rules that uh, a lot chuck d really was he's a musical genius you know chuck d yeah. Yo, shout Chuck D, man. He felt pretty good. That's legendary. That whole journalism is from him too. By the way, also to Quest Love. You know what ah, I mean? Ah, he's very particular on a hundred way he writes. Like he he can yeah. take you into his own world just by his. He did um, he did uh, what piece did he? I don't write? know if you remember this, but in the in the late nineties, he actually used to write reviews in the very very beginnings of OKPlayer.com. I don't. He also oh, gave wait OK Player. When OK Player started, it was a website for the Roots only. And Questlove, it was like a blog for the Roots. And Questlove would write on it. And he wrote down this piece about how to make a review. And he said, it's not a review if you don't listen to it at least three to five times. And I'm like, yo, these yo. are things that the, that the magazine guys wouldn't even say to you. You know what I'm saying? Like yo. a lot of magazine editors will give you a record and they don't even tell you. Listen to this shit at least four or five times, please, before you start writing shit about it. Yeah, let's do it once and write it. A lot of a lot of big time magazines, editors, they won't even tell you that. They'll give you the records that yo, 250 words have to me by Friday. But they won't even tell you, like, yo, make sure you listen to this shit a couple of fucking times. You know? And people are like, yo, when it comes to a book, like, yo, I just listen to it once, you know? And so you don't you get a review of whether somebody likes it but you don't get a review about what the music is. And that's where it's bad because at this age, because I've heard so much music, I can tell what I like and dislike, but not, what I like and dislike is here and here, but what is good music might be over here. There is good music that I don't like. There is, but there is no bad music that I like, but there is good music that I'm not crazy about. Yeah. So when I write reviews, I take into account that my like and dislike shouldn't be in the equation all the time. And so I take it out all the time. So you know how what you just said that about the reviews. So when we see the reviews on like a Raekwon's only book for Cuban Links 2 at the time, this is a different age in media. So right, people right. were accepting it differently and people didn't know what the hell he was talking about. It's like, okay, well, you don't understand the first one, then why would you do the second one? Right, you're in so, fear. Exactly. So when we see him announce only built for Cuban Links Three, and when he and whenever he releases it, we know we're gonna see people reviewing it. Just them talking in front of the camera, just be like, "Man, this should have been like all three of them put together." But it's like it has nothing to do with the original. But I think I don't think Ray would do that to the third installment. I don't know. Yeah, I'll tell you this: a good Ray's a good example because people think they know his lyrics, though, but. No, I have to get the Wu Tang manual to understand only go for it. Raekwon is a is a is another MC that shows why "goat" is such a bad term, because to me, Ray is one of the greatest writers of all time. The thing is, though, is that you lump him in his category of content: drug, drug dealing, coke, coke crap. Whereas when you get to the details of how he's writing, there are so many devices and so many skills and so much detail that you're like, yo, other guys can't even write like this, like. If you really study Miguel Pinedo's poetry, which is a precursor to a lot of hip hop as well, right? And the New Yorkians Poet Cafe that it led to, Raekwon has a lot of phrasing that is very similar to that, even though I'm pretty sure he may not have read any of that. You know what I'm saying? So Raekwon is this incredible, legendary writer. I think this, the problem with, with hip hop is that, here's an example, right? There will be Raekwon, right? And they'll say, 
we don't need to know about the 5% because Raekwon said he's a Muslim now, right? But it's still erroneous because Raekwon's language and his dialect is still nearly 90% what we, how we speak. So the, our dialect is still being used. You know what I mean? So the lifestyle that he was ingrained with and that he lived, the only reason that he's saying he's Muslim is because he, he isn't saying that there is, a, there is some kind of mystery God in the sky. I don't know what he's named, but I will name him Allah. That's why he's saying he's Muslim. We say that there's no mystery God. But when you look at the language of how Raekwon talks, He's still using mathematics. He's still talking with yeah, the alphabet. He's still referencing our, our lessons and ideas. So if you analyze him, you still would have to know what that stuff meant. Same with Ghost. You know what I mean? Look at the verses that they had. They still, they still, they weren't speaking like Muslims. They were speaking like five percenters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's part of the lifestyle. A lot of, uh, as a side note, a lot of MCs often say that they're not five percent because they don't want to be bothered by who? us five percenters you know what i mean they don't want us to say yo what's your righteous name or, or you said something wrong about a about a record though you know what i'm saying like you got this thing wrong you quoted this degree wrong like they don't want that kind of challenge so they don't do that and a lot trust me a lot of artists that rhyme now they come to learn from me you know what i'm saying as willing students or just trying to learn more about the five percent you know what i mean so it's a whole culture you know what i mean so to me, those blogs or those 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 YouTube channels that are doing that, you know, just suburban kids, they can never analyze the music as someone that really gets into the gritty and the nitty and stuff like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, they're just doing it for views. And I think that, and, and I think anybody can, anybody can. You know what I'm saying? The thing is that they have to have a love for really analyzing all of the research that's out there, so they can't catch up. But they don't do it with the love. They don't do it with the cross-reference. They don't respect the other cultures. They'll go like this. Like, it's a, like for example, one of the biggest disrespects to like us Black people in general, original people, people will go like, oh, no, it's definitely a culture for everybody. You know, when you say that, you're not saying it, though, because, we, because we're not selling it to you. We sold it to you already. So you don't have to say that. Yeah, you're saying that because you're trying to say that the, the concepts and the ideas that are special to us are not as relevant as the ones that everybody understands simply. You know what I mean? And that'll never be true. That'll never be true. You know what I mean? If you if you do hip hop and you really respect it, you have to do some kind of research to understand and respect the history of the research there. It's like you can't. Nobody goes into Roots Reggae and enjoys Roots Reggae and it really tries to study it and doesn't respect Rasta. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And try to learn some of the things that Rasta was, was, really, was really living. You know what I mean? Because it's a beautiful culture. You know? It's so like it's the that. same thing. You know, it's the same thing with the 5%. I guarantee you, when you look at from the 90s on, anything, from the 80s on, so once Rakim hits there and even before, there is some 5% influence everywhere. Yeah, it's true. That you don't, no one even knows, like whether it's Queen Latifah and things like that. Where do you think all this stuff comes from? You know, it's everywhere, you know? And, and I think that these bloggers, they, they don't care about that because they don't want to put, they don't, they no longer want to and feel they don't have the need to, to put this black music in the spectrum of black reality and culture. And that's what I don't like. Yeah. I mean, and it's like half the time, like, just do like, it's like even like, 
simple knowledge. Like I remember I was going through a fight when I heard these, like they're like high school kids, but they were arguing about Wu-Tang and one of the guys like, who the fuck is Raekwon? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was like, that's when, that's when I just had to leave. But like, there's yeah, I can even talk about that. Yeah, but there's people like that arrogant out there. You say like, oh, we know what we're talking about. And it's like, oh, man. It's like, name me five Black Moon songs. Actually, better yet, name me the five Black Moon. I mean, name, name me the three Black Moon members. Like, <laughs> you can't do it. Buckshot, five, five FT, and DJ Evil D. Like, come on, guy. And see, there's little things, too, because without, without Doug Down succeeding from the late the 2000s into the 2010s, Probably hip hop stumbles. Yeah. See, and because yeah. it brought a balance to it. That's why I like to yeah. refer to myself as a child of Duck Down. Because Wu Tang's records, Wu Tang's records weren't that good. You know what I'm saying? The the greatest Wu Tang records were so underground and from the family, not from the Wu members. Exactly. And they weren't blowing up. And Duck Down records, and so they didn't have. They were kind of in the middle, like this is commercial, this is the underground, and Wu Tang records are hovering in the middle, lost. Yeah. Whereas yeah, Duck Down had goes out, out of the dark ages because Sean Price blows up in the middle of the dark ages into this new character, Sean Price, <laughs> into the 2010s. And without Duck Down, I, I would say too that as a as a foundation, like a beacon, you know, like if you have like a beacon station that's keeping everything back down be that that's that's that because goblin studio where a lot of the great mcs uh spit gems shazil york starving b uh uh spent de niro one of the great engineers tragedy Gaddafi is doing shit there Every, everybody sadatix is doing his albums there that is led by sean price and you know what I'm saying? and if they're not doing their records there that record, stu that studio, that probably doesn't get enough money to keep going. There was a time too where I remember when uh, rock was wasn't as popular as rock. This is when Sean yeah. Price was still yeah. because I remember at the time when Nocturne, everyone was like rock, 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 and then like in the dark ages, uh, Sean P transformed mm -hmm. into you know he went from rock to Sean Price, and it's like that's like oh my right. That's what I like to say but about Sean, these reinventions. In Helter Skelter. Yes. He didn't have the inflection. He didn't have the inflection and he didn't master the tempo. Yeah. Like, I there's something which in Sean P. Rhymes, he masters the tempo where he tells you, listen, nigga, I'm right here. Yeah. And then <laughs> he's going. Like he, he shows you that he's right there, you know? And before that, Rock was doing that because his voice was so dynamic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, Rock was doing that. And um, when he goes solo, it all, it all comes to, it all, it all comes out, you know, with Onion Head and all those other songs. And I don't know if you remember, they did a whole, he did videos for every single song. I think, yeah, because they he made a there was a DVD with almost, I think every song, but almost every song from Monkey Bars, they did a video for. Yeah, because I remember, I, yeah. I remember this because I always get mad at Day Sun. Day Sun had it because he was the editor in chief at the source of time. The God had it, and I was there with him, and he had it. And I was like, "Yo, we gotta take this home. We can't let nobody else." <laughs> and he was like, "Yo, I got this. I got this. I'm gonna take it home." And he didn't take it home, and the shit got lost. And I was like, "Ah, oh. 
you know? And I, I was like, I'm so, I was like, damn, man. And it's so stupid because I could have just called Duck Down and asked him for another copy. You yeah. Know? And I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Because I remember there was a time where 50 Cent was trying to sign Sean Price. Do you think that 50 Cent fucking copied Sean Price's uh, Monkey Bar? Because you know how he did music videos for every single song. You know how 50 did that after Massacre? I don't know. I don't know if he copied that. He, uh, he may have gotten the idea from that. Yeah. Because they, there wasn't a, because I know because there was no other. I, I think that making a video for every cut really didn't have, it had no, it didn't have the impact people thought it would have until one guy came along and that was Ka. When Ka oh, did every yeah. video for Grief Pedigree. I forgot the second one. Yeah. Yo, I, to this day, right? I joke, I, I used to joke with cop with this all the time. If I put my arm around my oldest daughter and I go, they stand the test, got father time rhymes. She gets totally angry with me. <laughs> she gets totally angry with me because she knows, oh, he's rapping car again. <laughs> Stop it, yeah. Because I would always do that at the least, you know, you do it at the most least expected time though. You put your arm around your child, you give him a hug, you go, they stand the test, got father time rhymes. I know. <laughs> Yo, cause I, yo, when I came out, I was like, yo, this is the dopest shit because you know why? I was working a job that used to always leave me with headaches. I hated it. And I would go home and I couldn't read or write. And I would just listen to Cos Grief Pedigree. He didn't have the drums on it. It was just like kind of his words in the groove. Yeah. I was like, yo, it was like, it was like listening to lyrical Sade. It was groove. It was soothing and it was deep. It was gritty. I love that record, man. And I love the entire Cos catalog. You know, it's just amazing. I remember when I first got it, it was uh, The Way of the Samurai. I was like, oh. Ooh, man, that's wow. my favorite album of his. Yeah. As a martial artist, it, had, it has to be my favorite album. You know, and that's one of my favorite books, too. You know what I mean? That he used throughout that, that album, you know? So oh, were you no. early on Kai when Jizza was early on Kai? Like, you know, the Pro Tools album when he had Kai I didn't know, no, because when I heard the Jizza album, I'm a Jizza fiend. He's one of my favorites, you know? And so I bought every Jizza album. I was like, yo. This kid's voice is so dope. Yeah, it was like because it was so deep. It was like, yeah, it was like, yo, I don't know why he featured this kid, but I'm not going to delete it from my my thing because the shit sounds crazy. It was dope, but then I didn't hear from him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And honest, like, I didn't see, I didn't see how big Mossberg was, right until. Right until I started to listen to it the year after. Oh wow! Okay. After, after I make my best of list, I always go back, and I, that's why I hate doing them. I go back and I say, "Ah, oh, shit, this is not the record it was. This one's even better," you know. And you always have those every time you look back. So that's why I feel it's so useless. But um, I always go back and say, "Oh my goodness, I I didn't have rock all the way at the top right here," and I didn't realize what it was doing. And I only realized it because I, I was I started to hear um, when. I saw a show and Sean P did snow. He'd put a verse on snow and he was doing it on stage. This is before he recorded it. I saw him do it on stage. And I was like, yo, that beat is just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I started to listen to it again. I was like, yo, it sounds on the surface, Rock Marcii, like he's just doing a lot of drug shit. And I remember him from the Wu Meets Indie and all these other things. And I had the UN album. I had the UN album. You know you, what I mean? Are you out? Yeah. You, the, you remember you in or up, you in or you out that album with the horrible cover, right? I even had the album. What's the album with the green cover that was unreleased? 
Oh, Jazz would know that. Yeah, yeah, I have that. I have that one too. And um, because once it has large prof- professor, I go get it. I'm a large professor okay. fiend. If he has something to do with some, I go get it. You know what I mean? And um, then I heard it. And I was like, "Yo, Rock Marciano is dope." But it was really when Rock Marciano made Reloaded that I was like, oh, "Okay," because that that was where he did really something different. You know, that was where it was next level. His rhyme patterns and everything like that. Because if you we're used to it, but if you listen to Reloaded at that time, he's still a little fast on Mossberg. Yeah. Still a little fast. On Reloaded, oh, he's rhyming so slow. And I have this joke. I have, I've written it in a couple of pieces, and I even made a poem. It's called that. But I, I have this word for Rock Marciano, the way he rhymes, and I call him ejaculates. You know what I mean? Because... He, because it always sounds like he's rhyming, like there's hoes in the studio with him and he's just being <laughs> And every bar is basically ejaculate. Like he busts a nut after every bar. Like, yeah, 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 take that. Uh, uh. Like, right? It's like he's the ultimate <laughs> kid. So I call his bars the ejaculates, you know what I mean? And I don't know if he knows that, you know what I mean? Because I, I deal with jazz a couple of times, you know? But I'm gonna, you know, and I call his bars the ejaculates. But um, it's a way, it's funny, but it's a way of honoring him because he's like, Nobody does that, you know what I mean? The best he, kinda, he rhymes down to you, you ain't shit. Blah, blah, blah. So it's like he's always busting on somebody, you know what I mean? Whether he's yeah, busting gonna, a gun or he's busting the nut, he's always busting on somebody, you know? I'm gonna re-listen to Marcy Longo and just like just to see. That's like, what makes it so comedic to me. It's so funny though, you know what I mean? Like my brother, he doesn't know hip hop like that. So I give him a couple albums and he cracked up when I told him that they named this. He said, why they named that song Tom Chambers? And I said, yo, because it's about that coke, he's white, Tom Chambers. <laughs> He just cracked up. He's like, yo, that's it. It's hilarious. Like, they'll do stuff like that. I find, that's you know. The, that's the fucking record of knowledge that I remember. That yeah. But when he did Reloaded, I'll, I'm telling you, a lot of people did not like that record in New York. I Yeah, because a lot of people. Because they were like, they were like yo, these beats are great. They're wasting Alchemist beats. Why is he rhyming so slow like that? Yeah. And when, if your ear is accustomed to stuff, you didn't rhyme that slow in the pocket. That to a lot of New York ears, it sounded like he was not in the pocket. Like he was lazy. Yeah, like he's not caring about the pocket. And there's only one guy in New York that was rhyming out of the pocket at will. And that's really Jay-Z. I was going to say Ninth Prince, but okay. No, but that's by accident. That's that's because I love Ninth. No, I love Ninth Prince music, but he cannot rhyme in the pocket. That's more of a skill thing. He can't do it. You know what I mean? Oh, shit. I love Killer Army. I, I'm a yo, Killer Army is like I'm a martial artist, so you know Killer Army has been used more than I need. You know what I mean? Oh, I bet. I Killer, and, and Don Pacino, that's my big bro. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. But, um, Killer Nine Prince is always out of the pocket, but I don't know if that's because of skill. Jay Z really has skill, even though I never support Jay Z. But Jay Z rhymes out of pocket, and a lot of times it's deliberately on purpose because he gives no fucks. Yeah. He has no fucks. He did, a, but, he did a lot of that of the Jay Electronica album. Yeah, it's he, like did. he, he did. The whole shit. Off. The whole shit is out of pocket, though. And it's a way of... Uh, when an MC has a persona of being, like, um, dominant and dominant over you... Okay. They, they could do those devices where, like, I don't even need to rhyme in the pocket because I'm so nice. Uh, 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 and then do the pretty hiccup. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, but when I heard Rock Marcy, it was so slow. A lot of people's ears couldn't catch on to it. But I was like, yo, my uh, obsession with originality, I was like, yo, this is original, though. And if yeah. you listen to what he's saying, though, there's a lot of cleverness in the bars. You got to give him a chance. And then Alchemist, though, 
one of the keys to Rock Marcy is that his production and Alchemist production hit a peak at the same time. Did yeah, because twenty twelve. Yo, if you listen to Alchemist's older production, he has a couple of doozies. Yeah, because he doesn't know his style. Like, what's this gonna be style? He's sampling what he's sampling now: sixties and seventies rock music. Before that, it was like that chemical warfare. It's like, well, I don't know about this. Chemical warfare sampling a lot of sixties and seventies rock, but he's using their sixties and seventies rock rhythm. So it's like, eh, 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 and it's coming out like looking for a hook, like finding the rock hook, eh, 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 and then. But now, once he starts by the two thousand tens. He's like, I'm going to use whatever part has the melody that I need and want. Yeah, and yo, look at the songs that he put on there. I mean, that shit was... He, his, his work of Boldy James is like, I think that's who he gives his best beats to is like Boldy James. You know, I don't know. I don't want to make you know, my decision. Okay, well, I don't know about the team price in China, but the first one, they did, the very first one, uh, my first chemist set. I will say that he gives a lot of great beats to Boldy James. Yeah, like he, like he has... Boldy a- James, who... People, see, that's where you got to have journalists because Boldy James gets dissed because he's boring. But hip-hop is a listening music. So there's going to be MCs that are more monotone and that you have to listen to. Yeah, like, he's not made for, like, yeah. like you if, actually if have to listen to If you listen. need to get hyped up for a run or for a weight training session and you need the guy to be yelling at you, then, yo, we got that. We got MOP. We got... Yeah. How about Starving B? Everything Starving B does is, is excitable. I'll go listen to him when he's rapping over one right? of the rap tracks of Rusty Jukes. Yeah, Rusty Jukes. That's bench press music. You know what I mean? And he's got, what, 10 albums, 11? Yeah, Rusty Jukes. I don't, is, uh, yo, Rusty Jukes. If you can't work out and you got just Ru- Rusty Jukes playing, then, you know, you need to just take a break. You can't get through <laughs> <laughs> I mean, serious. There's some MCs that like, yo, if you need to work out, then just play that music. You know? He has this one song of Black Moon that gets you hyped up for anything. It's off his um, mm-hmm. album of Marco Polo. He's like one of the only artists of a Black Moon feature. Uh, what the yo, he, Rusty Jukes really is dope live, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's you like- know the tradition. That's what set Duck Down apart too. Duck Down, their MCs are actually live MCs. So they'll never be dissed by the underground because even if they make songs that people don't all like the whole album all the way through, which it's far and few between, right? Yeah. Black Moon, Smith & Wesson, Sean Price, Bolt, Helter Skelter, both of them. Uh, I remember when Pharrell OGT Hawkins when they do that. rhyme. But all the acts from Duck Down, Rusty Jukes, all those guys are superb live performers. Yeah. So they still can be in touch with the community. It's, it's just crazy. You know? It's like, it's crazy. I, I remember when Pharaoh Monch and Black Robert were ducked down. I was like, yo, like, this is like, yo, recipes to Black Rob right there, man. Yeah, Black Rob, yeah. yeah Never got the chance to make great music to me. He could have made such greater music. You know what I mean? When I, I talk about Dark Ages, the type of music we got from Black Rob is exactly what I mean, though. A great uh, artist, a great artist that was presented to us more as like, let's listen to us street, listen to some street niggers that are really street niggers on some commercially viable stuff that you'll like. You know, that's what it is. Packaging streets for the masses. And it, it was disgusting to me. So all of the value of Black Rob's albums and even DMX a lot of times, when it happened, I'm not talking about now, but when it happened, it was very hard for me to appreciate at all, at all. Why? Well, because I knew, I knew what it was being used for. You know what I mean? I knew what it was being used for. You well, know? Because look, you look at the video for Whoa, and it's like, 
they're all on a street corner, like with like and like we know like what's that sport? Like they're all like it's supposed to mean they're all selling dope, yeah. and it's like you can make a hot song and make it off the corner. It's like no, nah, dude. Like I see what you mean by that. That's be hard Listen, to be like. I've taught sport. students worldwide, and when they find out how much I've done in hip hop, they ask me hip hop questions. And I have people actually from Germany and other countries in the 2000s, during the 2000s, like 05, 06, they'd be like, they would ask me, is it really like that? And I was like, what do you mean? Like the video, like when Prodigy, oh. when he was rolling through the street and all the girls were there and I'm like, is oh, it really like shook that? Ones? <laughs> Not even shook ones. There was a video, we had a lot of girls and everything. And um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the okay, video. Hey, love, because I don't remember. Or it's probably with G or somebody. Uh, was, was it the Keep It Thorough video? I don't. I don't remember. You know, I don't know if he was strolling oh, through. Well, maybe it was the hold, it, you, it, hold you down one. Yeah, it was one where he was strolling and everything, and and they would ask me like, "Yo, is it really like that?" You know what I mean? Like the streets and everything. Like, there's girls that like in the street like that. I was like, "Nah, there's like girls aren't like just twerking like that." <laughs> That's like today. Today. Girls think that they should be doing that on the corner. Yeah, that's girls that got nothing to do with selling their bodies. They're not selling their bodies or nothing like that. But they think like, yo, so I could be cool. I think I should be doing that shit. Whereas like when I was younger, when we was kids, obviously it's people rhyming on the street. Yeah. When I was growing, it was either people doing hip hop or people having fun arguing about hip hop. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That was it. That was it, you know? Like, when I was a little kid, it was the decision, like, do I break without the linoleum and break up my clothes and my mama will kill me? Or do I wait? You know, now nah, I got to go in now, you know? Like, these are the choices that, 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 that I was dealing with, you know what I mean? And, of course, I chose a lot of times to break up my clothes, and I got a lot of whippings, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know? But that's what it was, you know what I'm saying? But um, I think hip-hop today is, is wonderful, you know? The fact that this music got commercialized this bad low, right? And that me and you, we actually have to go through a list, right? You know that you do this too. You're like, damn, man, it's a lot of people. Who do I ask? I got to ask at the right time. Yeah. Help them out with their record release. So this and that. And I want to ask all these people, like, and you got to find the right time. Exactly. That never used to be the case that there was this much music that we could choose from. You know what I'm saying? I remember it was a set schedule. Like, okay, next week we'll get this guy. And then next right. week we'll get this ah, guy. There's so much music. And then we get surprised by some people's albums and others. And, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. You That's know what, what I mean? like about today is, too, because we don't have to be force-fed. That's why when people are like, oh, I'm being force-fed. It's like, dude, you have, like, like the whole world of music. Well, you know, yeah, like, if you're into music and you say you're force-fed, you're, like, in the Matrix. Like, you're in a fucking Matrix. You know? Yeah, because you can... There's literally stations out there who just play no beat, uh, no drum hip-hop. Like, it'll be Yo, straight, like, low -fi. You know, low. like, I still haven't heard the new car record. I'm waiting to relax and everything so I can listen oh, to it. Oh, man. I, I've already I heard... The same. Yeah. No, because I've been waiting. I did my show yesterday, and now I can listen to it. And I still haven't heard... I ha I'm telling you, albums I have that I haven't heard yet. That that I'm I'm so excited to hear. I have I haven't heard Kaz's album, Vakil's album. Um, I just got big my man Big Flip Poppy. Um, I still haven't heard King Magnetic's album. That's my man. Oh, wow. Right I still haven't heard it. Him low. 
I haven't heard his album. His new one with Gallo Point. I love Gallo Point. Gallo Point, yes, sir. I love Gallo Point, man. He, I love his crates. I love what he samples. You know what I mean? I listen to a brother I know. There's a brother I know, Jaffet Music, out of uh, I think he's in Boston and stuff. Dope MC. I heard his. My man Frost Gamble. You know what I mean? Dope producer. That's my man right there. I heard his. His was dope. So okay. So you're naming off like a lot of these peers who I've known in the underground. So I got to ask, do you know who Norm Regular is? Wait, say his name again. Norm Regular? Ah, no, that doesn't ring a bell. That doesn't ring a bell. So, he's like my cheat code to this. Like, he, he'll, he'll, like, recommend an artist, and I'll go listen. Like, he put me on to Lord Juco. So, but his rhyme pattern. Juco, that's a dope MC right there. But Norm, like, I think Norm is, like, baby Kai. Now, I know that's a bold statement. That is a bull statement, yeah, yeah. But when you when you listen to this, no, I swear, you come back, you're like, yo. Oh no, hey, listen, if you said it, then I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it. You send me send me his links and shit like that. I'll send you know exactly what I said that exact thing. I'm like, but there's so much though. That's why like the books I'm writing now and everything, they're really trying to encapsulate the entire universe as opposed to just what I love. My my um. The next book I have that I'm working, that I'm putting together, it's already put together. I'm just rearranging it and I have to write an intro um, to lead it in. <clears throat> Is it, as I say, the creative element of my, el- the creative part of my element as a writer is the poetry, the prose. So I can't extract the prose out of pieces, but I can't extract the poems that I've written inside of these pieces. So it's called, the book is called, oh. it's going to be called Art on Art. And it's going to have, it's literally all of the poetry that I've written these last, what is it, since 2015 up to 2020, wow. you know? And it's going to have the poetry that literally was embedded in all of these essays, interviews, uh, reviews that I wrote about music events and all these kind of things, you know what I mean? And some of them are in Premier Hip Hop. You could see the poetry but they're going to be extracted. So you're going to see how they stand up on their own as creative pieces, you know? And uh, it's dope. Uh, you know, I know it's dope. I'll definitely be checking that out. Because when you yeah. said that first one, I was like, yeah, this guy can actually write, man. Like, this guy's actually, like, I'll read a book and I'll, like, I'm not reading that shit again. But that filtered real. I find myself, like, going back to it and, like, using, a, like, some kind of manual or just, like... Oh, that's a piece, man. That is Because... I don't know. It's just something about that. It's like half the name you have that I had interviews with these guys. And it's like, yeah, he understands this renaissance and like what these guys mean for their craft because it's not like you're not in there writing. These guys have a heartbeat and he got great chemistry. Fuck that. You, you're writing like, okay, when these guys put out an album or their structure as a human being, they know what they want. They know that they're, they're like, okay, they can go with the cello route. But they choose to say in the route that they choose that their fan base knows. Mm-hmm. Like Griselda, everyone references Griselda, yeah, yeah, because they're bringing the game back, whatever. But Griselda is gonna cross over at one time. Don't you think like a lot of these artists like they're afraid to cross over because they may not have that guy. You gotta do this. You gotta right. do this. But when we see like people like Griselda, I think that gives more artists hope, like a Rome Streets. Because I do. I do. It definitely inspires the Rome streets. You know, one thing I don't like, one thing I have too is the problem with the listener. A lot of listeners are egotistical, so they don't want to be honest and say that people like me and you did that research and that we know that if they listen, if you guys check us out, 
you'll find music that you want to hear. People yeah. don't respect the journalism anymore. And yet they're getting all their news about hip hop from the journalists they say they disrespect. Yeah. You know, and part of that is like Griselda is a great argument because I'll tell people Griselda is dope. They are the tip of the iceberg that I'm talking about. Yo, exactly. And There's so the much. The depth more. of that iceberg might is colder than the tip. Not to this Griselda. But no, we no. know if we, if we break up Griselda into their constituent parts, beats, uh, rhymes, content, there are people in all over this universe, this underground I, universe, that are better at each of these things. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, that's that's because that's what got right. Because it's like, like, no, the music is not over. They're not an anomaly. They're not an anomaly. They're the tip of an iceberg. And that's exactly why I call it the invisible renaissance. But a lot of listeners, too, are, are egotistical. And I find that listeners more my age than younger listeners. Yeah. The listeners are more cool with listening, checking out the things I share. Whereas listeners that are my peers in age, they become totally assholes. Yeah. Has oh, yeah. I didn't miss hip hop. It got sold out. So I left it. And then I came back because Griselda's keeping it alive. No, no, no. You left too. You left too. And yeah. you're not in touch, old man. You're the old man. Even though we're the same age, you're the old man. Because you're the one that's not in touch with what you think you know. And that's why a lot of people my age, they were like, yo, the locks, they took it back to show you what MC is about. It's like, no, the locks always been like that. The Jadakiss didn't kill anybody that wasn't killable. It was a very easy win. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'll say that, that, was, <laughs> that was Curry at the free throw line. That was Curry at the free throw line. That was a free throw. That wasn't a three-pointer. That wasn't anything else. That was easy pickings and they they just made it more uh, theatrical because they're dynamic like that but the mcs that we have and the caliber of mcs that we have in this underground i'm telling you if they were able to give in the forums oh, to display how charismatic how dynamic how addictive they are to the mainstream you'd see a lot of people getting into them but they don't want our people to have a music like that they don't want it. Everybody was like, I remember when Joe Biden retired, everybody was like, oh, we're missing that void. We're missing that void. And I discovered somebody like a Bub Rock who has its own twist to it, but he'll give you that raw emotion. Right, yeah. I, I mean, that's a joke, though. Like, when people, you know, they're good and everything, but, like, the whole, uh, what was they called? The, when Joel Ortiz and, 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 and Button and all of them were a group. Oh, yeah, okay. I kind of say That was hardly like bringing it all back. You know what I mean? It was lesser music. It was, it was weaker music. And it was some good battle bars. I mean, it was nothing special compared to what was being done. You know? I think if they never would have signed to that shady level, it would have went different because look how Griselda got that freedom and then they stuck to their sound. It's Griselda, give and take though. They might have made better music, but they wouldn't have made music that people would have overhyped either. Do you think do you think like it was the time they came out too? Like it would have like it was a wrong time, like if they would have came out like everything, but look, low, everything to me in the two thousands is the wrong time. Everything. Yeah. The only person that was released at the right time was MF Doom. And because it was revenge. Yeah, because he, because that man was avenging, he was avenging everything that was wrong about music. And that's why he was the greatest of the 2000s. Yeah, because you mentioned MF Doom from that era, and they always been a mad villain. Always, always, don't matter what. Yeah, always, you know. But but I say um, the, the artist of this decade that we love, 
they haven't had the chance to show how charismatic and dynamic they are at the world stage. And that's the only thing that we're ah. missing. No one's going to tell me that, mind you, if you fix it for explicitness, Rock Marcy would be a hit on TV, anything, anything, anywhere. You know what I mean? An actual absolute hit, you know? In fact, I think that Rock Marcy is a bigger sensation than anything Griselda would put out. You know yeah, what I'm saying? That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's Rock- fact. That's he true. dominated. He's the most dynamic. He was charismatic. He, you know, he actually has like, yeah. know, like a women going like, cause like a lot of these underground shows, like you'd be shocked to see women. I remember seeing this rock man. There's women everywhere in this. Like, oh, women go crazy for Rock Marcy. <laughs> like, they go crazy for Rock Marcy. That's a fact. That's a fact. You know what I mean? He's a dynamo. You know, <laughs> right? He's a dynamo. You know what I mean? He, he's he's that kind of guy. You know, he's. He's like, like, he's got the method man quality. You know what I mean? Ah, but, um, ah, you know, with like they're dynamic on many levels. You know what I mean? But so, it's so, it's, I, I never get upset with all the music. I get tired of listening to music, but I never listen to music and get tired of it because it's so much good music. Yeah. You like, you're not like, ah, oh, I gotta listen to this. You're like, it's more like I'm in a perfume shop, you know, and yeah. I smell too many good perfumes. So now I have to, you know, recalibrate my, my nose. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Different senses. Yeah, I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that. You can listen to an album and listen to a different album and it'll be a completely different vibe and you won't enjoy it because that other album you heard before, it's like, it's not really like the vibe I was going with. Right, right, yeah. Now, I think it's so much fun. It's so much fun to go through the music and pick the vibe that you want to listen to. It's so much fun to see all the music, that, you know, and even for myself now, I'm embedded in the music because people ask me to record with them. You know, and people ask me to be part of things, like now being part of Mark Hanno, you know, Prince Powerful's leftovers, you know, and being part of a group. And we now we're an anti-gentrification group. And we make music like that. Like I we have another album coming out and I lead off the album again. You know what I mean? And um it, it's great, you know, which at least by the way, people have been asking me too. I am making an album also, you know, and it's a spoken word album, you know. So I have a couple of cuts and stuff that people haven't heard before, you know what I mean? And and there's a couple of MCs that they have asked to be on it, so they'll be on it. Oh shit, I'm definitely checking that out. Yeah, so okay. that that that's in the works too, you know what I mean? Well, this went a lot longer than I expected. I only expect like, we went for like almost three hours right here. <laughs> oh man, yeah, we definitely built for a long time though, but yo, there's so much to, to share with you because a lot of stuff I share with you, I want to share with, I want you to know as a, as a fellow writer, a colleague, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, now when we let when we let go, I'm gonna give you my man. So anytime you wanna text or call or anything, we build. You know what I mean? Definitely. And like likewise too, because like artists watch our show, so I wanna give like an artist who you're gonna interview in the future, like you know maybe like uh, Bob Rock. Uh, <laughs> Bob Rock is a, is would be a superstar. He's TV worthy. Like he's got that like superstar quality he's on know? his mf doom time right now though yeah he's, he's like, he's yeah, yeah but he, he really has star quality though he's very right. charismatic very charismatic um but i wanted to give like a lot of these artists out there who tune into your show to give a little bit more about you because when you're interviewing the guests yeah you give somewhat of your personal life but they never got like like this oh indeed indeed and yeah. when i checked out the lord sue when i'm like eight minutes I can't do eight minutes. I need more oh, than man. eight minutes. Salute to Lord Seer. Yeah, <laughs> salute to Lord Seer. Well, there was a six minute and an eight minute one by one. Yeah, yeah. Damn, I need like a fucking hour of this it's guy. It's a lot, yeah. It's a lot, yeah. Oh, man, if you ever want to come back and promote something, man, my platform oh, is open oh, to you. Oh, that's peace, man. That's peace, man. Yeah, low, definitely. 
Um, is there no any- way. You're ever in New York. You gotta come and, and, and stop by the show. We'll do it. We'll do it together. Oh yeah, well, for sure. We have I'm in NY. I do plan to come because I gotta see NY. Yeah, we talk some shit about hip hop. You know what I mean? Is there anything that you want to uh, plug in before I let you go, my no, man? You know, like I got the filtered real book. I got books coming. You know what I'm saying? Um, I still have my reel of 20, 2020 ebook that is just five dollars. If you, you know, got the cash app soon. Yeah, the link in the description below if y'all want to support my man. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. You know what I mean? So um. I got those books and I give you a free book. I give you an old book that I, old ebook called The Sunya's Crates, which is almost like, it's about 300 pages of old articles, you know, that I wrote in the two, in this, in this invisible renaissance. I'm just talking about this resonance. I'm not talking about 2000s or 90s, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I have really written a lot of materials, you know what I mean? So, you know, I give that out for free too, if you purchase the, the filtered reel from me, you know what I mean? I, I gotta tell everybody now too when when he's talking about this filtered real book, I guarantee you, like this this book is like one of the books that you will go back and read to. Like this isn't this isn't Harry Potter, this isn't J.R.R. Tolkien. Like this <laughs> this book right here, I swear you will come back to this book oh, once you listen to these artists. Like damn, he really understood this. So, man, yeah, I, I definitely have more coming and cataloging and chronicling the music though you know and i also have a book that's going to be about the dark ages you know oh yeah I'm real. which is going to have oh, a lot of my experience yeah, okay i can't wait for that the dark ages yeah. i'm going to keep my eyes for that yeah um, so it's a lot of books so i end up writing a lot of books all at the same time you know what I mean? so i end up with my hand my 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 pen in a lot of books at the same time there's a creator like that too i forget but yeah. he does that with songs he's like i have to write like 50 yeah. songs at once most likely the next book is going to be the art and art you know, because I I know I have a great I have a great artist who's crucial to the Invisible Renaissance too, who's designing the book to the the cover. So it'll be dope. It'll be dope. You know what I mean? Well, like I said, your sonny's uh, you're welcome back anytime, man. Skill straight alone. You definitely got my skill straight alone. The lone low light with the homesong garment. The boy <laughs> with the, field, the true and living God. Hector Lovo cantando. And uh, 